Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish hunter. Something evil. Do you know why people got dressed up for Halloween? Because it was fun. No, for protection. They thought if they dressed up to look like an evil spirit, the other spirits wouldn't bother them. Not recommended for impressionable children. Here it is. Two days away from Halloween, everybody. This is our final uh, spooktacular episode until after our favorite holiday. And episode, where, what, what are you, 26, 27, something like that? 27, yes. 27, all right. Look at that. So, episode 27th on the 29th and Halloween's on the 31st. Odd numbers. <laughs> anyway, welcome uh, to the program. Uh, Michelle, we, we're going to go into Spooksville a little bit more. And uh, and our, for our send-off show, we're, we're going to be talking about, uh, I believe, your favorite kind of monsters, correct? Oh, yes. We are going to talk all about vampires. And not just the vampires you know from cinema. Some really, really creepy vampires. And what I'm happy about is Creepshow actually covered one of these vampires this week on their their, their, their current installment on Shudder. So I oh. was very happy. Very cool. Very good. So, and uh, we have a birthday, uh, a pretty big birthday, part of uh, a real American uh, television history that you're going to be talking about uh, tonight, Joe. I am a man who another great, great radio comedian compared me to. That would be that Kenny Pick guy. I did. Johnny Carson. You did. Johnny Carson. I've always thought you had a very similar sense of humor to Johnny Carson, and I really admire that. Well, I th- I thank you. But, you know, uh, I have to say that um, in reading about, about Johnny Carson, his personality is just like mine, too. Very shy, mm-hmm. very introverted. Never went to parties. Yeah. Hated Hollywood. You know, hated the scene. And mm-hmm. um, But they said if everybody had a red light in their forehead, <laughs> he would light right up. <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very so. cool. And Miles, you have—I uh, believe—we're we're, going to be talking uh, with you tonight about some uh, a, a very common catchphrase and uh, where it originated. And uh, I believe it was uh, on a submarine. Um, no, no, it, not, not a submarine. submarine. The, the catchphrase. Oh, okay. Yes, the catchphrase is uh, fairly well known. It's "Damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead." Uh, no, it's uh, "Ironclad," actually. Ah, okay, all right. It makes that makes sense now. So, uh, so yeah, so you're going to be uh, talking about uh, this is a story from World War Two. Uh, no, ironclads no. are Civil War. Si- oh, Civil War! Oh my gosh. Yes. yes. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, torpedo was a term for yeah. That it, it's not the torpedo you and I think of as the with the, with the propellers and no, no, no. They're okay. mines. Gotcha. So yeah, so you'll be regaling us uh, with that information. Look at yeah, I should have done a little more research. Um, but I've had my nose buried in books uh, 
uh, off and on this past week and uh, uh, reading all about Bella Lugosi and Ed Wood's relationship and some fascinating stuff and some unrealized movie projects that uh, Ed had planned for Bella Lugosi. And of course, we know that Ed, Bella unfortunately passed away, but did his last speaking role in a movie that we talked about last week, Bride of the Monster, which was Ed Wood's uh, second feature film. Um, and uh, But yeah, so it's going to be a fun night. But Michelle, before we get to anything else, we gotta uh, we gotta uh, bear our fangs and start talking about some uh, some bloodsuckers or energy drainers or what have you. Oh yeah, there there are all sorts of vampires, and vampires are like the quintessential Halloween movie monster. You know, they're the, the they're the monster that everybody immediately, especially the Dracula version of the vampire. Sure, they're sure. the ones that people just know when you talk about them even even the kids nowadays you know you you say vampires yeah they're gonna come up with twilight most likely but yeah you know, it, <laughs> it is a form of vampire you know sure. they have morphed over the centuries and the sparkly, decades and all sparkly that vampires correct um <laughs> but yeah um let me just uh uh give you the miriam webster definition of a vampire okay it is the reanimated body of a dead person believed to come from the grave at night and suck the blood of persons asleep. Or the second definition, one who lives by preying on others. All right. You know, I you know, people people have termed the the the, the, the phrase vampire capital, <clears throat> you know, a vulture capitalist. I like to think of them as vampire capitalists. Sure. Same difference. <laughs> yeah. Um and in D and D, according to the Forgotten Realms Wikipedia, vampires are a type of undead that feed on blood. They are one of the most feared and powerful undead creatures. And here is a quote: "There is something so pure about a vampire's evil, so perfect in its utter corruption. It'll tear at your throat like a ravenous beast, and then smile at your companions as it dabs its blood-soaked lips with a silk napkin." <laughs> That's great. Yeah, because um, in in D and D, vampires are the master of mesmerism. They can mm -hmm. take control of your mind, and they can make you do things you would not normally do. So you know, and that yeah, so so pretty uh, you know heavily inspired by by Dracula, the classic. You know, correct. And and D and D spawned its whole a whole another world, which was a world of where the most corrupt evil creatures went and it was a world called Ravenloft and it was another dimension and the, the primary bad guy in that world was Strahd and he was a vampire mm -hmm. and he was evil incarnate and um, it, it's pretty cool to see where our mythology has led us because there are so many different varieties of vampires in the world Every culture has a vampire-esque myth or legend in its uh, culture. And yeah. um, uh, uh, we'll start with the first one, Romania. This is the one everybody thinks of when Bram Stoker's Dracula, that sort of thing. Um, vampires were known as a moray. Um, from the Romanian word, word mort, meaning dead, or the Slavic word meaning nightmare. And then there's Strigoi, which the latter classified either as living 
or dead. Living Strigoi were described as living witches with two hearts or souls. Sometimes both. Strigoi were said to have the ability to send their souls out at night to meet with other Strigoi and consume the blood of livestock and neighbors. You know, similarly, dead Strigoi were described as reanimated corpses that sucked blood or attacked their living family. Living Strigoi became revenants after their death, but then there were so, also so many other ways a person become a vampire. A person born with a call, which is basically a, 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 a bit of skin over their face. Mm-hmm. Um, or um, an extra nipple. Oh, you know, like like Scaramanga from uh, uh, what was the man with the gold, only gun, golden gun? I went to school with an, a guy with an extra nipple. Okay, well he could become a vampire. Um, if you he were born too, with a tail, he was too or stupid, extra hair. Anyway, go ahead. You were doomed to become a vampire. Um, wow. The same fate, yeah. The same fate also applied to the seventh child of any family, if all or uh, all of his or previous siblings were of the same sex. So if you were a seventh daughter or seventh son, you could become a vampire. You too can become a vampire. Uh, yeah, as well as someone born <laughs> too early or someone whose mother encountered a black cat crossing her path. If wow. a pregnant woman did not eat salt or was looked on by a vampire or witch, her child would also become a vampire. So would a child be born out of wedlock. Um... Maybe she was having problems with water retention and she wasn't eating salt. <laughs> yes. Others also, who are also at risk of becoming vampires are those who died in an unnatural death or before baptism. And finally, a person with red hair and blue eyes was also seen as a, pot- a potential strigoi. <laughs> we have Mrs. Dash in our cupboard, so that's, that's pretty much like a telltale sign of being a vampire household. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> And, and and then again, you know, pe- people they also said that werewolves that who are not if they're killed and not disposed of properly would become a vampire. Okay. What are the rules about becoming a, a werewolf, though? <laughs> no. We, we, well, we, we covered that last week. We did. We did. I'm <laughs> kidding. I'm kidding. So that's a lot of rules. That's but yeah, that's that's a uh, you know that's what superstition gets you. Yeah, that's that's the Romanian, the 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 the, the more European version. That's mm-hmm. where Bram Stoker pulled a lot of his uh, yeah. uh, uh, stuff to, for Dracula. Um, now, an entirely different vampire comes from uh, from Malaysia. The Malay vampire is a really really creepy one, and. Um, there's a show on Shudder called Creep Show, and it's an anthology. They mm-hmm. have like a half hour episode. They have an hour episode each week, and it a uh, one half hour each. They have two stories in each of those hour episodes, and they actually covered this one th- this week, and it made me so happy. It's basically the Pengaliel. Um, it is a nocturnal vampire from Malay. It's Name comes from the word tagal, which means to remove or take off, because its form is that of a floating, disembodied woman's head with its trailing internal organs still attached. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. really, really creepy. I, I, I'm familiar um, with that. I've uh, I, that that traumatized me from the uh, one of the old monster manuals or something. Yes, yes. It Jesus. it was pretty graphic. Yeah. Um 
from afar, it twinkles like a ball of flame. Um, basically, that's what they kind of say the will-o'-wisp phenomenon could come from. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's a mortal woman who practices black magic. She becomes... Uh, she must meditate during ritual bathe in vinegar with her whole body submerged except for the head. Once active in her form at night, the creature regularly soaks its organs in vinegar to shrink them for easy access back into her body. Um, it carries an odor of vinegar wherever she flies and returns to her body by daytime, passing as an ordinary woman. Maybe she Although just that ordinary pots. woman will always smell of vinegar. Just because she's, maybe she's cleaning coffee pots. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, it could be. Yeah, but it's it's a really creepy van. Co- if you think about a flying head with long hair and organs trailing beneath it, that is really a creepy image. Oh God, yeah, it's it's foul. I, I remember that picture. Yeah, you know, like I said, from the I don't know if it was the first Monster Manual or the, what's the other one? The it's not folio. Was it Fiendfolio, maybe? It might be Fiendfolio. It might have been a Fiendfolio. Yeah, I think it is Fiendfolio. I I have mine put away, so I can't get to it. Um, Yeah. um, But what's really interesting about this is they actually did it in the Creep Show. And what they did with the Creep Show episode I just recently watched, they actually combined it with the fact that we don't have a decent drug policy here in the United States. And sometimes you have to go to Canada or Mexico to get drugs at a decent price. And it was very political, but it was a very cool episode. And um, the guy from uh, Walking Dead, uh, uh, and and yeah, it's it's in the Fiend Folio. Miles just showed it to me. <laughs> okay. Um, the guy from Walking Dead, uh, uh, Rourke. Uh, what's his name? Um, he plays. I, I don't know. He he's a he's a character actor. He oh god, I can't remember his name right now. But yeah, Michael- he played. The, the border security guard, who was actually kind of liberal <laughs> compared to the senator that was like a Ted Cruz type senator, but a little bit more charismatic. Oh, okay. Well, it wouldn't take and it was a Yeah, it was a hilarious episode. I, I would have I expected the character that was the border crossing guy to be the douche, but he wasn't. He was actually kind of the good guy. I think a half rotten potato has more uh, charisma <laughs> yes. than Ted Cruz. But I was I was just so happy to see them portray this this creature. It's not a very it's not an easy easy creature to portray on film. So yeah, uh, no, that's a well, that's a with CGI it becomes yeah. easier now. Yeah, that's the uh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna grab a picture of that and put it in the chat. It's uh, uh is that Jeff yeah. D? No, sorry. I'm, it's, I'm... It, it's pretty creepy. Um, so the third vampire I wanted to cover, just before we start going into the clips and stuff like that, um, is this one is, to me, it's almost comedic, but it's actually part of part of uh, the mythos. Um, it is called, it is, it, it is the Chinese version of a vampire. It is a Jiangxi, also known as a Chinese hopping vampire. Okay. It's a type of reanimated corpse. Um, it's uh, usually depicted as a stiff corpse direct in, ch- in a Chinese shroud, which is sometimes mistaken as official garments from the Qing, the, the, the Qing dynasty. It moves around by hopping with its arms outstretched. 
It kills living creatures to absorb their key or life force, uh, usually at night, while during the day it rests in a coffin or hides in dark places such as caves. And this was actually, this was, I, I've actually seen a movie or two related to these, and the movies were great. But they're, you know, they're foreign films, they're, they're, they're Chinese mm-hmm. or they're, they're, you know, uh, but oh my lord, it was hilarious. They basically take these like long strips of parchment that have Chinese characters on them, written by yeah. Buddhist monks, and slap them to their foreheads to keep them dormant. Oh yeah, I've seen, I've seen uh, a movie with that in it. Can't remember what it is. And it, it it is hilarious. So these are three different types of vampires. They they all they all live off of blood, but they are such different varieties. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, this is this, this is across cultures. So this this is amazing. You know, I I this is one of my favorite subjects, as you can tell by the books I posted. You know, oh yeah, yeah. I, I have lots we, of books on these guys. We both uh, busted out our research books this week uh, for for uh, Dracula and uh, well vampires and uh, well me for Bella Lugosi. Right. But, yeah. But good stuff. But Bella is Bella's big in the Dracula field and the vampire field too. So. Oh yeah. So. Um, but what I like to say is, it when you start off with movies with vampires. The movies with vampires have been around since 1922, and that's when the original Nosferatu, A Symphony, a symphony of Horror, came about. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing about this movie is um, it was not well received by the heirs of uh, Stoker's estate, and they were very unhappy with this. So they, uh, they, had a, they, they, went, they, they sued. They went to court, and a court ruling ordered all the copies of the film to be destroyed. However, that didn't happen. <laughs> there were there not. were still a few prints out there that survived, and the film actually got mass media released in the later days, nowadays. So yeah. we can still see it, which is a good thing. Oh, yeah, and it's out there in the public domain, so you can watch it just about anywhere. Yeah, and then there was a remake of it in 1979 with Klaus Kinski. Yes. And then there is a movie that came out in 2000 called Shadow of the Vampire with John Malkovich, William Defoe, and Udo Kier. And this was a fictional take on the filming of the original Nosferatu. Roll camera. Iris in. Begin. It's been a fitful night, but you wake refreshed. What is that beside you? It's a book about vampires. Nosferatu. Director F.W. Murnau had an obsession to create the world's most realistic vampire movie. Meet Count Orlok. The overture to our symphony of horrors. He dug up an actor. I'd like some makeup. Well, you don't get him who didn't just play the part. But you're not feeding. No, you're not drinking her blood. He lived it. What is the matter with you? Where did you find him, really? From Lionsgate Films and producer Nicolas Cage comes the haunting tale of the uncompromising. You, you will have no close-ups now. The unimaginable. Blood! Blood! And the undead. 
Academy Award nominees John Malkovich. I will finish my picture! And Willem Dafoe. This is hardly your picture any longer. Shadow of the Vampire. How dare you destroy my photographer! Why not the script girl? I'll eat her later. <laughs> <laughs> now, oh. I know, I know you've seen this movie, right? Oh yeah, it's a. I saw this in the theater when it first came out. It was because th- this was really up my alley. Because again, you know, uh, you know, I love movies about filmmaking. So like this and Ed Wood and Gods and Monsters. That you know, those are all uh, you know the kinds of movies that I'm immediately drawn to. Yeah, this is an amazing movie, and William Dafoe. <laughs> As, as the um the the Max Shrek, Max Shrek. Shrek. yeah mm-hmm. yeah oh my God he played this role so beautifully oh it, I'll, I'll eat he, her he was born to play that role I mean with that that face and his demeanor I mean my goodness and it's got Udo Kier in it who's our birthday boy from last week so, that's right you know that's right I mean yeah, yeah th- it- three top talents in that film you know uh and and plus you know the 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 rest of the cast was remarkable too. Oh yeah, the the movie was beautifully done and I I it was it had enough comedy in it but it still had that really that 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 silent picture film feel to it even though yeah. they were talking and all that. It was well, beautiful. Yeah, a lot of creep factor too. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and I, I do love it. So that that's basically, you know, that's taking the Nosferatu. The the basically the the, the evil the, the, the vampire doesn't look human. He's not suave, he's not debonair, he's just a brutal, you know he wants what he wants, he takes it, he's the undead version. And you know, uh the the the, the role playing game vampire uh, kindred Placed the, you know, that was one of the species of vampires because there were several different species mm-hmm. of vampires, and Nosferatu were the ones that did not look human anymore. They were yeah. the undead. Yeah, and this this uh, Nosferatu, the look of that that uh, character uh, really played heavily into the character design of the vampire from Salem's Lot as well. Right. Very so. not. Yeah. The, the 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 inhuman vampire. Not not the one that's gonna sleep you off your feet and charm you out of your pants. Mm-hmm. This is the this is the one that's just gonna go for the jugular and just you know chomp down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's you know he's not you know worried about packing his bags and you know moving to England. He's just okay. Let's go. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. No. That and it, that's interesting. I did not know that they tried to the Bram Stoker's family tried to shut down distribution of this film. So. Oh, they they did they did a very good job at it. Unfortunately, a couple of prints did survive, and well, actually, fortunately, because it's an amazing movie to watch. It, yeah. You you know you might, you might not be a fan of silent pictures, but just to watch the movie and the 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 cinematography back then, it was beautiful. There's some fades in there that are that are lovely. Oh yeah, you know even just that little window scene that uh, I put in, you know, I mean that's pretty stunning, you know, for yep. for the time, you know, for a hundred year old movie. So I mean, just think of that, a hundred years old. Yeah. So that's when they take the more undead looking Dracula, and then he morphs. 
because Bram Stoker wrote the book and they went more with Bram Stoker's adaptation when Universal Studios got a hold of it. And so then you end up with the 1931 version of Dracula. You know, this. Oh, sorry. Oh, you have that one? It, yeah, I, that was, yeah, that, that was ready to. Do you want okay. me to play it? Yep. All right, there you go. I am Dracula. A moment ago, I stumbled upon a most amazing phenomenon. Something so incredible, I mistrust my own judgment. Look. Dracula. The very mention of the name brings to mind things so evil, so fantastic, so degrading. You wonder if it isn't all a dream, a nightmare. Rats. 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 Thousands. Millions of them. But no, this is no dream. This is Dracula, the original terrifying story of a maniac and a man who lived after death, lived on human blood, took the form of a vampire bat, and lured innocent girls to a fate truly worse than death. Dracula? Oh, what, what's he done to you, dear? Tell he, me. He came to me. He opened a thing in his arms, and he made me drink. <laughs> Classic. Just watched that on what last month on Svenguli? Yeah. Yeah, it's a spectacular movie. It's oh, you know, Bella Lugosi, you know, uh a vampire who immigrates from Transylvania to England and play preys on the blood of the living victims. Um and they they stayed kind of close to the book. Because if you watched like the nineteen seventy was it nine? Yes. Version with Drac with Frank Langella. Yeah, they got names completely wrong. In that. Ooh, really? Yeah, they they bounced it around. It was it was it was upside down and sideways. It was fun, but yeah. you know, because Frank Langella, you know, sexy dude. <laughs> but sure, He's yeah, the Tom so, Jones um, of vampires. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But he, yeah, he he played up the sex appeal to it, mm -hmm. you know, a lot more, you know, just the uh, the whole that the whole quivering lower lip of his and his, you know, his his hand. Oof. Sure. But now the but you know, of course, uh, I do love Nosferatu, but for me, you know, it's it's always going to be Bela Lugosi as you know was is and forever shall be Dracula. But you know, there have been a lot of other great people. Uh, to play the role, and Christopher Lee is obviously a close second for me as well. Um, Very but, much so. Christopher Lee is one of my favorites. And I think also holds the record for playing Dracula the, the most amount of times in, in films. Oh, in sequels, yeah, definitely. 
And then yeah. you also have Gary Oldman playing him mm-hmm. in the in the remake back in you know for for uh, uh, Francis for was it Francis Coppola's Dracula? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And that wasn't a bad movie. You it's know, been it, a it was, long was, time since I've seen it, so yeah. They got at least they got the storyline a little bit better than the the, the Frank Langella version, but. <laughs> Yeah, and please don't. Oh my God, that licking the razor blade me- gif. Please no. Oh yeah, no. <laughs> I can't stand looking at that thing. It's, um, but uh, but yeah, the uh, you know there, you know the the. I love the fact that you picked Shadow the Vampire. Obviously, we couldn't you know run a trailer for a silent film on the show. Um, no. <laughs> but uh, you know the Shadow of Vampire is pretty much the next best thing, and then followed by Dracula. That makes a lot of sense. Now, yeah, however, that's why I picked it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, perfect. So, however, we we are going to have to uh, go to the break, and we have a longish break because you have uh, four birthday trailers for us to uh, check out this pre-Halloween show. And uh, why don't you tell everybody what that is? And when we come back, we get right back into vampire talk. Yeah, and I do apologize. I could not pick from these four. It these is, four okay. to me are, are pretty pretty nifty people. The first one is Billy Barty. Um, many people may not recognize the name, but um, he is—he was a—he's a a, a a little person that has been in a lot of different movies. And um, one of his the horror movies, one of his first horror movies that he was ever in, was called *The Undead*. So he was born October twenty fifth, nineteen twenty four, in Pennsylvania, Millsboro, Pennsylvania. And he was in a movie called The Undead, 1957. He plays the imp. You're not going to hear much of him in this trailer, but you can hear his laugh at a certain point. And it's a fun little movie. Um, the next person is a favorite of mine and Miles. F. Murray Abram. Mm-hmm. Um, he was born October 21st, 1939, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Another Pennsylvania boy. And I chose Mimic 1997 for him. And then we have Carrie Elwes, born October 26, 1962, in London, England. I chose Saw 2004. This is the only Saw, fo- Saw movie I actually like. And I chose this for John Kendall as well as myself because I know he is a Saw fan. Right. And the last one, Ryan Reynolds. Everybody thinks of him as a big comedic actor. But he was also, he was born October 23rd, 1976 in Vancouver, British Columbia. He was, he starred in the Amityville Horror 2005 remake. And it's a fun movie. All right, here we go. We'll be right back. (laughs) Unchain yourself from this world. Join Richard Garland, Pamela Duncan... Allison Hayes in the weird world of the undead. <laughs> where a witch of a wench gives free play to her unbridled passions and jealousies. I could not tell you before, but now because I love thee, because I must help thee, I am a witch. Witch? <laughs> I am thy match, witch. You will make me a fine opponent. No, the unearthly horror of untimely death. Face burial alive by the unfrocked monk who makes Mary Jess 
while burying the undead. <laughs> Jack Spratt could eat no fat, his wife could eat no lean, and so betwixt the two of them, they licked the coffin clean. See the tortured undulations of the unwanted virgins. Experience the unbelievable. <laughs> the undead. Strickler's disease came to New York like a thief in the night. It was deadly, threatening to steal an entire generation of our children from before our eyes. Since it has proven to be virtually immune to chemical control, we had to find a new avenue of attack. We recombined DNA to create a biological counteragent. We call it the Judas Breed. Now, the cure they created has taken on a life of its own. So you think your little Frankenstein's got the better of you? They all died in the lab. But you let them out. Evolution is a way of keeping things alive. Sometimes an insect will evolve to mimic its predator. A fly can look like a spider. A caterpillar can look like a snake. They are breeding. Whatever it becomes, it destroys. Peter, these are lungs. Yesterday, it became human. If that thing has been around, how come nobody's ever seen it? I think we have. You see the size of that thing? We changed its DNA. Mira Sorvino. Jeremy Northam. Josh Brolin, Charles Dutton, Giancarlo Giannini, F. Murray Abraham, Mimic. Someone there? I can hear you. Do you think that is why he picked you? He helped me. Don't 
don't believe Adam's lies. Here away out of our price range. When the business is good, we are gonna have the this greatest house. It's beautiful. This is an amazing house. You are going to love it. Holy, this is the deal of a lifetime. So, what's the catch? There was a crime, a, a murder. In the house? And several people, a family. Houses don't kill people. <laughs> to a perfect house and to a perfect family. Who are you talking to? The girl who lives in my closet. And what's her name? Jody. What's the matter? Just seeing things, I guess. Why don't you come back to bed? I can't sleep. I'll lose my mind. There was a family. Lived here some time ago. They had a similar problem. I'm living in their house. We need to get out of here. Just back up and go. Everything we have is in this house. It's okay, Mommy. Jody won't hurt you. But the man who I killed somebody. I know I killed somebody. My favorite scene with Ryan Reynolds. No. Ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all kidding aside, no. Uh, yeah, I need to check that out. Um, I've not seen the the. Is it considered a remake or or they say the original movie took place and this is a new family in the same house? I think it's a remake. Okay. So. Um, but, uh, oh, a, a little uh, tidbit for everybody. Uh, Billy Barty, uh, he uh, was a little person, but he did something amazingly huge. He founded uh, the Little People of America organization. Um, yes. Uh, and uh, in Wikipedia says it, it, as of 2010, it had more than 6,800 members. It was the first North American organization for little people. And uh, apparently he was very disenchanted by um, uh, the portrayal of, uh, with his contemporary, Herve Velichez, the insistence uh, of being called midgets instead of actors with dwarfism. So uh, so that's interesting. 
Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, so welcome back, everybody. Uh, hello, Miles. Happy almost Halloween and happy almost anniversary. Yeah. And uh, Joe, uh, do we still have you? Uh, if, if we, you haven't lost power yet? No, no, no. We're we're stable. That's a I'm not, night. but we are. Well, yeah, who, <laughs> who is nowadays? Who is? And yes, but you have been doing some great graphic arts recently, so that's true. That's true. And of course, uh, Michelle, welcome back. And uh, let's see how many more of these trailers we can get to, and we'll carry over uh, what we can in hour three too. And I, I do, I do apologize. There's just no such worries. a wealth of material, and this is my favorite topic. You know, I love vampires. Vampires are just so much fun, and I've loved them since they were creepy undead creatures to, well, not so sparkly. No, I'm not a fan <laughs> of the sparkle, but yeah. Um, but it is what it is. At least they're finding an audience, right? Yeah, but here, but, but vampires have morphed. They change back and forth just like the zombies have, just like the werewolves have. And now we have something really interesting. There was a book that came out was called I Am Legend. Yes. And that spawned several different remakes. Not to mention, it, it spawned The Omega Man with Charlton Heston. It mm -hmm. spawned I Am Legend, which, which had Will Smith on it. But the first movie that actually covered was covered by that book was called The Last Man on Earth in 1964. And that uh, starred my most favorite actor in the world, Vincent Price. That's right. We switch you to the state capitol where His Excellency, the Governor, is speaking from the Executive Mansion. Further, I have, in conjunction with the federal government, declared this state to be a disaster area. I was sent to keep you here until they come. To kill me. Vampires, alive among the lifeless, that make the night hideous with their inhuman cravings. If they are not destroyed in the flaming pits of hellfire, or stake to the ground in the light of the sun, <coughs> will the unbelievable become real? A world of inanimate zombies by day, irresistible, horrifying attackers by night, Can a zombie woman's hunger for love repopulate the earth? So basically, this movie is about uh, a plague that sweeps across the world, creates people who have not a resistance to it into these albinoesque night-dwelling creatures that want to suck the blood out of anybody that's not like them. Mm -hmm. And it's basically, so basically, it's a plague-based vampire movie. Yes. 
And it was uh, based on uh, Richard Matheson wrote I Am Legend in 1950. Yeah, I Am Legend. I own, I own that book. I love the book. And I like all the remakes. They were all very well done. Omega Man was a bit, eh, campy. But mm-hmm. um, I like the Vincent Price one best. And the Will Smith one was, was really well done as well. Yeah. Um, and, uh, let me see. What's the, uh, uh, apparently this also served as a uh, big inspiration for George Romero's Night of the Living Dead as well. That would not surprise me. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, and it, it does say, you know, in the plot summary, you know, they, they are, they're blood sucking, pale skinned and nocturnal. Um, yep. and, but otherwise indistinguishable from normal humans. Yeah, that's why I consider it a vampire thing. So, mm-hmm. uh, so you go on from there. Um, then you go on to like some of the more campy horror, the 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 like the Hammer stuff in the seventies. You know, have you have uh, Christopher Lee playing Dracula? Oh, he's amazing. But um, you also have some offshoot films like Captain Kronos the Vampire Hunter, and that dealt with a couple different types of vampires. There just wasn't one type of vampire in there. There were like three. And it was really cool the way they dealt with that mythos. However, then after in 1974, things get a little bit strange. Sometimes the studios started stretching. And <laughs> I, I actually, I, yeah, I actually had to include this one because of Joe, because it, 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 it's, it's about dogs. So um, there's Vampire a dogs? Yeah, there's a film called Dracula's Dog from 1978. <laughs> Sharky will love this one. I'm sure he will. Are we ready for the trailer? Yes. <laughs> right now, Michael Drake hasn't a care in the world. He's off. Sorry, I just need to pause it real quick. Doesn't sound 70s at all with that music, no. Oh, no. On <laughs> a camping holiday in California with his wife and two children, plus two dogs and a litter of puppies. What Drake doesn't know is that there are skeletons in his family closet and the bones are about to start rattling with a vengeance. You see, his name isn't really Drake. In the old country, it's pronounced Dracula. I'll tell you one thing, if what you say is true, I'm gonna make a lot of money. No? Yeah, I'm gonna sue all those people who've been making Dracula pictures without my permission. Yeah. Hey, very funny joke, Mr. Drake. That is exactly the point. You are the only direct descendant. Don't forget, he wants your blood. Destroy him. Now. 
Summoned by the living dead, they come in the night, thirsting for human blood. Led by the most terrifying creature that ever walked the earth. Sultan, Hound of Dracula. What's that? Don't move. a nice doggy, but before you pet it, take a good look. It might be a friend of Zoltan, <laughs> Hound of Dracula. Oh, I love it. Yeah, Zoltan, Hound of Dracula is the UK title of uh, Dracula's dog. Right, but he, he, it, this is so funny because basically the, the family has a camper full of two German shepherds and their puppies. And things just go to heck from that point on. <laughs> That's great. Jose Ferrar was in uh, Zoltan, Hound of Dracula, or, or Dracula's Dog. So, but I figured Joe would like this because the, Drac- the dogs get kind of like the upper edge at a certain point. So basically, <laughs> basically what happens is some communist soldiers disturb the resting place of Dracula. They don't release Dracula, but they release his dog. <laughs> That's great. And things go bad from there. From what I know, Zoltan is like a common name in Hungary, like John. Yeah, we actually had a, a a guy who ran the muffler place down the road when we still had a car that needed a muffler. Um, his name was Zoltan. And I was like, wow, that's a cool name. But yeah, I can see it being a very common name. Yeah, but I, I, I had to pick this one because of Joe, because... You know, it has dogs, and maybe Sharky might aspire to be a, uh, a Dracula dog at some point. Who knows? I think, he, I think he's working on that, yeah. Th- he's got knives. He hasn't graduated chainsaws yet, but he's getting close. <laughs> he's, he's getting there. Yes, he is. So uh, I, I thought you would get, get a kick out of this. So, um, so that's when Dracula became a little more campy, you know. Back then, uh, in 78, yeah, they Dracula's dog. That's really silly. But then they took it to humor. And that's when, oh, I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, George Ham. I love George Hamilton. I love him as Zorro the Gay Blade. I like all of his, like, little movie roles and his TV roles. But love at first bite when he became my fave. Uh, sorry, I, I was uh, doing something else, but I have the okay. uh, clip coming uh, up. Oh my gosh, I've lost my lost my marbles here. There we go. Uh, okay. Love it first. There is a creature of the night whose very name strikes terror in the hearts of man. He fears only mirrors, the scent of garlic, and the sight of a crucifix. He feeds upon human blood. Only sunlight or a stake driven through his heart 
can destroy him or those whose blood he drinks. His name is Dracula. I love you. And I can give you eternal life. I knew it an insurance salesman. I've already got Prudential. Out of the If you're hungry, master, we could ring for the night maid. <laughs> when you is gone, nobody's gonna bring you back here once you is dead. Good evening. Master, please be careful. What is it? You nearly stepped on my dinner. Bon appetit. A rooster crow. A rooster in New York City? I cannot believe what I'm hearing. It's him! Yeah, or a rock group. The second way to kill a vampire, count three silver bullets through the heart. No, Rosenberg. That is a fair book. Really? Are you sure? I've lost it forever. He's drained all the blood out of her. George Hamilton. His blood in your eye. Susan St. James. Richard Benjamin. Dick Sean. Sherman Hemsley. Isabel Sanford. And Artie Johnson as Renfield. Finally, after 712 years, to have someone bite me again. Love at first bite. Oh, the 70s. <laughs> yeah, but it was a fun movie, if you think about it. Artie Johnson, you know, sure. Richard Benjamin. And a great cast. Oh, yeah. And it was, I, a, it was, a, it was a goofy take. It was before, uh, what was the one that, that, that uh, Leslie Nielsen was in? Yeah. Um, oh. Dr- dr- Dead and uh, Loving It? or Dead and dr- Loving It or something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Art, the Artie Johnson laugh is so iconic. He he's the bomb. Yeah, that was pretty funny. Yeah, the so. whole Renfield. He he he. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but no, and I I absolutely do not oppose horror spoofs because there's been a lot of really good ones over the years. Right, and and, and this this was done well. It it had a great cast. It had a lot of fun, and the whole black. <laughs> The blackout in D- in in New York, mm-hmm. that was so hilarious. And the, yeah. the, the one guy, the the one guy was the, the the cop. He was trying to be a good cop, and he tried to you know give everybody the the, the benefit of the doubt. But the, the that one racial stereotype of the black kid just just made me so sad. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I you know I uh, I I see stuff like that all the time going back and and doing the um, the old school audio, and I was like, whoa. Well, don't you remember the the when I got that Dam Busters trailer for Miles? I had to bleep out a word. The yes. dog, the nickname for the dog. You know, it wasn't Dracula or Zoltan. No. <laughs> no. So. Um, Adam just said dead and loving it. So he 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 nailed it. There you go. Yeah, very cool. So, well, I, I so, think the others are, uh, the next one might be a little short, so we, we can probably do do the next one if, you, if you'd like. Let me, uh, let me take okay. a quick peek at the time si- signature on that. Uh, yeah, yeah, the next one is uh, only two minutes. Okay, so we go from, yeah, we, we have the, the fun frivolity of the Dracula, of Love at First Bite, and then we start morphing the vampires into another breed. When you when you more it's more of a you know like a a leech system, where one creature is leeching off the lifeblood of others, and this is when we come with the more vampire erotic zone, um, where it's not just male and women, uh, male and female. It's more whatever gets. Oh God, I I'm 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 losing here. Skin um, is skin. Yeah, skin to skin. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, because uh, we have the hunger in 1983 with uh, Susan Sarandon, David Bowie, and uh, this is before Susan Sarandon became crazy. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. There's that. But uh, all right, you ready? Yep, the hunger, right. 1983. Sarah Roberts is in jeopardy. Hey, lady. How about it? Stay with her. Help her. For she has begun to feel the awful horror of The Hunger. John Blaylock. The Hunger has given him everlasting life. Until now. Pray for him. Miriam Blaylock. She feeds one day in seven on the unsuspecting and soon she will turn into something that you will never be able to forget. No matter how hard and how long you try, fear her. What have you done to me? Forever and ever. And life signs terminate right here. beauty of Catherine Deneuve, the cruel elegance of David Bowie, the open sensuality of Susan Sarandon, combined to create a modern classic of perverse fear. Mysterious, sensual, strange, perverse, riveting. The hunger. Riveting, perverse. <laughs> oh yeah, and and Bauhaus was in it. So there you go. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right, that's right. So, did they play Bella Lugosi's? Music. Did they play Bella Lugosi's dad in that? Uh, I think so. Oh wow, 
So I'll have to check it out. Um, but yeah, it's been, a, I, I've seen it, but again, that's one of those things I saw when I was a teenager. So, you know, video. Yeah, sure, watch it right again. It, it, it's enjoyable. You know, Susan Sarandon's become a bit goofy lately, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, she had her heart in the right place for a while, but you know, of late she's, uh, what is she doing now? Is she anti-vaxxer or something? She's something weird. Yeah. I, I don't listen to her anymore, so. Yeah. There's, there's well, Sarandon, she was a Bernie bro turned Trumper. Oh. Oh, yeah. She went weird. That's neat. Yep. Um, so, anyway. Uh, well, uh, the, yeah. So, I guess we should probably get going to the break here so we can, uh, because we're going to shift gears. But don't worry, Michelle. We should have time at the end to talk about your other trailers. So. Not um, a problem. I, I th vampires. I could go all. I could have covered this entire show of vampires. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and that would be a bloody mess. Um, oh, so. it would be. Anyway, but all it'd right. Be so delectable. <laughs> yes, exactly. All right, we're gonna hit the break. When we come back, uh, we're gonna get to Joe's segment and Miles' segment. We got some Johnny Carson and some Civil War talk. So. Uh, and we have a vampiric sharky. Oh my god! Yeah, look at that. <laughs> nice, nice job there, Joe. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so we'll be right back with uh, lots more. It came from Cleveland right after this. Going to be a good night. It came from Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror. And you're invited. A foolish unto you. Something evil. Back in the day, this was the one night you kept your children inside. Well, tonight you'll all see what Halloween really is. Not recommended for impressionable children. Oh, yeah. I hope everybody has a great and safe Halloween. Uh, we're gonna try and do something tomorrow night, but the weather's just not agreeing with us here. We're gonna try and do an outdoor movie night with a couple friends who are vaccinated. So, Susan got her booster shot the, uh, last week, by the way. I'll be getting my booster shot in three weeks. So, I also got Yeah, the we have to wait for a bit. Yep. I got the flu shot and the pneumonia shot as well. So, uh, I didn't know there was a pneumonia vaccine. That's weird. Um, so anyway, welcome back to the show. Michelle, thanks for all the vampire goodness there. And, uh, we'll... I'm, I'm glad you like it. I, I, uh, vampires, I have so much stuff on vampires, it's not even funny. <laughs> well, uh, you know, that that's good because, you know, I, I mean, uh, uh, somebody, you know, somebody needs to keep track of these beasts. Uh, hell, hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, of course, Miles, welcome back to you as well, sir. He's here, but he's not. Oh, okay. Sorry. That's fine. And last but not least, uh, Mr. Joe Santorsa, the, 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 uh, our Johnny Carson, talking about the original Johnny Carson tonight. Da -da. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Here's Johnny. Ba -da -da. <laughs> yeah. 
So, uh, all right, well, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, give us a little bit of setup on uh, who Johnny Carson was, who the man was. Okay, let's see, we had John William Carson, born October 23rd, 1925 in Corning, Iowa. Oh. And he moved to Norfolk. Iowa, wow. Yeah. He moved to Norfolk, Nebraska, at the age of eight. Uh, at the age of 12, uh, he found a book of magic at a friend's house and immediately purchased a mail-order magician's kit. Wow. His mother sewed him a cape, and his first performance was staged in front of a local Kiwanis club. So he was really into it. Oh, that's uh, cool. <clears throat> he uh, debuted as the great Carsoni <laughs> at the age of 14. <laughs> And Perfect. was paid three dollars a show. Uh, wow! He did substantially better later on, in, but anyway, soon uh, he was doing performances at local picnics, county fairs. You have it. And then came World War II, and uh, Johnny went to the Navy. And while there, he was an amateur boxer, posting a ten and O undefeated record. Wow. On the USS Whoa. Pennsylvania. <laughs> it all comes and back to Pennsylvania tonight. It all comes back to Pennsylvania. That's right. After the war, uh, he started his career in radio, then moved to TV, and then moved to New York City to do a show that I remember, but I'm sure you wouldn't, called Who Do You Trust? And it was a great show. He was really funny. Uh, and... It was uh, formerly known as "Do you trust your wife?" And th they would bring couples on, and they oh, would ask them questions. Oh, that's evil! Yeah, <laughs> but they changed it for Johnny. Uh, and it was on that show that he met his future sidekick and straight man, Ed McMahon. There you go. It was uh, the first show where you could ad lib and interview guests, mm -hmm. and that's where he got his chops. And he and uh, because he had this quick. Like, quick wit. Like, you know, he can ad-lib like crazy. In fact, he's, he used to say of uh, Chevy Chase that Chevy Chase couldn't ad-lib a fart after a bean dinner. <laughs> oh! <laughs> wow. But anyway, yeah, that's what he said. Did he say uh, that after he saw uh, Chevy Chase's late-night show? I don't yeah, maybe because <laughs> could be. that that that's probably what prompted it because that was in the late 80s early 90s so yeah yeah <clears throat> yeah well anyway he wasn't too fond of Chevy Chase's uh, ad libbing ability let me say um anyway he became a hot the hottest daytime television show on ABC for 6 years which led him to go to NBC when Jack Parr retired to host The Tonight Show. Now, I thought, look, it was his his wit and his deadpan look on his face when somebody would say something that was like a strike thrown right over the plate <laughs> and he was yeah. about to hit it out of the park. <laughs> you know that look? Oh, yeah. Well, yes. uh, yeah, so I, I, I figure what we'll do, Ken, is let's play clips one through four, and I'll just introduce each clip in between so we don't waste a lot of time talking. Okay. Uh, let's start with clip one, which is, I call it the chip lady. This is a lady, uh, so, because you, a lot of his stuff is visual. This is a lady 
who he brought on is typical of his guests, uh, <laughs> who collected potato chips. I guess she worked at a potato chip factory. Yeah. That looked like items, like and animals and things. Celebrities. Or like the Madonna or Jesus Christ? Well, yeah. yeah, we didn't get into that, but he pulls a trick on her. And you'll hear him chomp, and you'll. you'll well, hear it, it. It's classic. It's classic. It is. We have a little more time left here. Now, what are some of your prize ones on this? Uh, well, I have board. a pair of dirty sweat socks. That and uh, potato chips, folks. If you just join yes, us. And there They're again, a, from I the had same to be chip. Real up. quick to uh, get a pair of yeah. something. And that's the. Uh, okay. Are, uh, what, what do we have here? What's that? Oh, this is a calf, but he doesn't have any eyes. But, uh-huh. um, but that does look like the head shape of a, cow. of a cow or a calf. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this is a. That's an eight. That's an eight. That's a letter. Uh-huh. A number eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's a camel. A camel. Down. A camel. Well, that sure is. There's no doubt about that. And um, and the pear is rather perfect. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of apples and pears and pumpkins. Mm-hmm. Potato chips. Potato chips. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> look at this one, John. No, no, no. Oh. oh my. You gotta stop the clip here. Oh. Alright. <laughs> That's when he, Ed McMahon distracted her and he, he grabbed a chip from a, a bowl he had behind the desk and she freaked out. And uh, I think Francie put a gift that, that captures that moment yes nice gift <laughs> okay oh yeah yeah right. I, that, I, this is a classic moment i remember i think i i remember watching that one live when it was on so but uh, anyway continue <laughs> excuse me god i'm she poor myrtle thought i was eating her collection i <laughs> No, they had a bowl back here of just regular oh. chips, and I had one of those. I wasn't picking up your... <laughs> Excuse me, you really had a start there, didn't you? Yes, oh. I heard that You crunch. heard that crunch, and you thought I was... Right. I was eating right. her act. Okay. <laughs> eating her act. Eating her act. <laughs> That's what I mean. He was great. He was great at the one-liners, and he just popped them out, you know? Now, the oh, next yeah. clip... Now, you think Jack Webb didn't have a sense of humor? Well, he didn't. But even yeah. Johnny Carson made him have a sense of humor. And this this and harkens back, I think, to our first episode. I think I, I might have played this. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. So. <laughs> and uh, this is the uh, Copper Clappers. <laughs> story you're about to see is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. This is the city. <laughs> Los Angeles, California. Some people rob for pleasure. Some rob because it's there. You never know. My name's Friday. I'm a cop. I was working the day watch out of robbery when I got a call from the Acme School Bell Company. There'd been a robbery. There's been a robbery. <laughs> yes, sir. What was it? My clappers. <laughs> Your clappers. Yeah, you know those things inside a bell that makes them clang? 
The clangers. That's right, we call them clappers in the business. A clapper caper. What's that? Nothing, sir. Now, can I have the facts? What kind of clappers were stolen on this caper? They were copper clappers. And where were they kept? In the closet. Uh-huh. You have any ideas who might have taken the copper clappers from the closet? Well, just one. I fired a man. He swore he'd get even. What was his name? Claude Cooper. You think he... That's, that's right. I think Claude Cooper copped my copper clappers. Kept in the closet. You know where this Claude Cooper is from? Yeah. Cleveland. That Cleveland. <laughs> that figures. What makes it worse, they were clean. Clean copper clappers. That's right. Why do you think Cleveland's Claude Cooper would cop your clean copper clappers kept in your closet? What's that? He's a kleptomaniac. <laughs> Who first discovered the copper clappers were comped? My cleaning woman. Clara Clifford. <laughs> oh, boy. That figures. Now, let me see if I got the facts straight here. Cleaning woman Clara Clifford discovered your clean copper clappers kept in a closet were copped by Claude Cooper, the kleptomaniac from Cleveland. Now, is that about it? One other thing. What's that? If I ever catch kleptomaniac Claude Cooper from Cleveland who copped my clean copper clappers from kept in the closet, yes, I'll clobber him. There you go. Clean, <laughs> clean copper clappers. Clean? I couldn't pull that off. <laughs> no yeah, way. Clobber that dude. That's impressive. <laughs> Claude Cooper from Cleveland. Hey, I, I, th I thought of you. Yes. Clean copper clappers the... kept in the closet. Copper clappers in Cleveland. Do you have copper clappers? Anyway. Clearly. Number three. <laughs> Clip number three. <laughs> Clip number three. Hey, it features one of our favorites, uh, Michelle's favorites too, is uh, 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 Madeline Kahn. Oh, yes. Who was in the middle of the interview. <laughs> he was famous for this. He just changed the subject to phobias, and she was unprepared. And we got this reaction. Phobias. Anything that really phobias. They're not natural. That's unnatural. a good one. I'll tell you what left in my mind. I mean, I'm not prepared for this. Well, it's okay. An unnatural fear of something. Well, a lot know? of people are afraid of the dark. It has acrophobia. Right. A fear of heights. Yeah. Yes. We haven't prepared this. Well, we, I'll tell right. you what left to my mind. You know, we are. Sub I do not like balls coming toward me. <laughs> testophobia <laughs> again oh very quick very quick yeah no he can't you're right testophobia he just popped that one out and i think she threw it back at him no yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but that was that was a classic uh, one-liner from him and oh, yeah. then we all remember the famous uh, i mean karnak the great oh yes Karnak the Great. Any relation and to Carsoni the Great? 
I bet. I bet. I thought of that when I was reading this. But Miles actually uh, named one of his characters after that guy. So Carnal Carnal Carsoni. Carnac. No, he Karnak? had a he had a, a gnome named Carnac. Yep. Carnac nice. the Great. It's a good name. Well, yeah. this clip, it's the last, <laughs> the last one that cracked me up. I mean, there, some of them are r- really funny, but the last one cracked everybody up so much they couldn't continue. Uh, so this is one of the classic Karnaks. Blood sugar. Blood sugar. Just for Michelle. <laughs> what should a vampire cut down on when he's on a diet? <laughs> May a toothless yak gum your grandmother's wheat thins. Cannonball run. Cannonball run. What do you call a drink made with gunpowder and tequila? An apple a day. What's a minimum wage for a fruit fly? A wed wobe. <laughs> what does Barbara Walters wear over her wed pajamas? Uh. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> he knows what's coming. <laughs> Having trouble divining this one? Sis boom ba. Sis boom ba. Describe the sound made when a sheep explodes. That ended that segment. Uh, that's classic. I remember that one too. That's funny as hell. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> uh, classic. He, you could tell he, he knew it was coming and he couldn't get it out. He couldn't even start the joke. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was just so. Anyway, there uh, there was a. During his career, he developed a lot of feuds between some high profile people. One of them was with somebody I can't stand, Wayne Newton. Oh, yeah. And, okay. and at one time, Newton barged into his office because Carson was making a lot of jokes about Wayne Newton mm-hmm. for reasons I won't go into. But uh, they had a business deal that that awry or something. But anyway, at one time, uh, he barged into Carson's office and, at, at the NBC studios and th- Newton threatened to beat Johnny Carson up unless the joke stopped. Oh, hell no. Really? <laughs> now, remember what I said. He compiled a 10-0 and record as a boxer in the Navy. Yeah. And they said Carson just laughed them out of the office. 
<laughs> Good for him. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just like he was at the at the exploding sheep. Um, Perry, Perry Mason actor Raymond Burr became angry over Carson's continuing fat jokes about about him. Oops. Why? And, well. He only appeared on The Tonight Show twice, once in 1968 and once in 1976. And both times, when he sat in the guest chair, he broke it. <laughs> well, then oh, that's no. his fault, you know? <laughs> so, you know, Carson couldn't resist. <clears throat> and uh, in December of 1963, uh, Johnny Carson joked on Tonight about an alleged shortage of toilet paper. <laughs> we all recognize this, right? Oh, yeah. Viewers believe the story. <laughs> there was a rash of oh, panic no. <laughs> Yes, hoarding all across the country. And it caused a real shortage for I weeks. Remember. Wow. Yeah. Yes, and, and stores and toilet paper manufacturers had a ration supplies until the panic ended. Plaquelet thrive. Wow. Now, all the shortages we had, there's a gasoline shortage. You know what else is disappearing from the supermarket shelves? Well, Toilet paper. <laughs> ha ha ha, you can laugh now. <laughs> there is an acute shortage of, of toilet paper in the good old United States. We gotta quit writing on it. <laughs> but I wanna tell you, it is serious. I just saw a commercial where <laughs> I know it's coming. Uh, where Mrs. Olson comes in with a shopping bag and the housewife says, forget the coffee, just give me the shopping bag. I want to tell you. <laughs> Back then, Mrs. Olson was, I think, the Folgers woman. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So he retired from showbiz on May 22nd, 1992. He was 66. Yeah. Uh, and... We could play clip six. This was his farewell. And And so it has come to this. I uh, am one of the lucky people in the world. I found something I always wanted to do. And I have enjoyed every single minute of it. I want to thank the gentleman who shared this stage with me for 30 years, Mr. Ed McMahon. <laughs> Mr. Doc Severinsen. You people watching, I can only tell you that it has been an honor and a privilege to come into your homes all these years and entertain you. And I hope when I find something that I want to do and I think you will like and come back that you'll be as gracious inviting me into your home as you have been. I bid you a very heartfelt good night. It's tough. That's tough. Yes, so. it was. Um, his politics were really surprising to me. Um, he was an Eisenhower Republican, but uh, he opposed the war in Vietnam. He opposed capital punishment. Right. Favored racial equality. He was against criminalizing extramarital sex, which I didn't know was criminalized, and pornography. And he explained that in my living room, he said, I would argue for the liberalization of abortion laws, divorce, divorce laws, and there are times I would like to express that view on the air. I would have loved to have taken on Billy Graham. 
Oh, yeah. that would have been, been, been beautiful. Some little things about him. He was an amateur astronomer and a very close friend of Carl Sagan. Oh. Uh, Car- Carson was an avid, and this I love him about this, he was an avid tennis player. See, there's more about us that meets the eye there. Uh, avid tennis player, uh, and when he sold his house in Malibu to John McEnroe, mm-hmm. uh, the terms were that McEnroe had to give him six tennis <laughs> lessons. Oh, nice. <laughs> Carson, uh, he was a heavy smoker for decades, and uh, he often smoked on camera. You remember, I remember him smoking yes. on camera. Sure. He smoked four packs of Pall Malls a day. Pall Malls. Ouch. Yeah, Pall Malls. Yeah. My father smoked camels, by the way, so I know the thing. Mine, too. That's going to uh, hurt you horribly. Oh, yeah. oh, my God. Hurt my dad. On March 19th, 1999, he suffered a severe heart attack at home was hospitalized and had quadruple bypass surgery. And on 6.50 a.m. Pacific time on January 23rd, 2005, Johnny Carson died at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles of respiratory failure arising from emphysema. He was 79. And on January 31st, The Late Show with David Letterman paid tribute to him. Actually, Joe. David Letterman. Yeah, actually, actually, Joe, I, I that's some of the audio that I got for you for later. If you want to talk about that later when we play the audio, Sh- sure, sure, sure. It's got then, the, jo- uh, the jokes and everything. Good, good, good. And that was the life of one of the greatest, well, the greatest talk show host of all time, Johnny Carson. Yeah, he, yeah. He he not only was the greatest talk show host, he also gave a a great platform to other people as well. Absolutely. He launched so many, so many careers. I mean, when I was going through the, the clips, I mean, so many famous people, you know, uh, Robin Williams and, and, uh, you know, uh, David Letterman, uh, Joan Rivers, he led Joan Rivers, Rivers. except they, they had a falling out and never talked again. Mm. Oh, that's a shame. She she started her own show. He was very upset about it. Yeah, unfortunately, wasn't it over the joke? Uh, was he behind the joke where um, it was a prank? An actress came in pretending to be Margaret Thatcher, and and came after and pranked Joan Rivers. No, he was angry with Joan Rivers for starting her own talk show opposite oh. his. Oh, okay. Same same time slot on another network, and he was yeah. really pissed about that and never talked to her again. Yeah, and unwittingly he created a monster with Jay Leno too. But you know, unwittingly, yeah, yeah. Um, Can't... Leno. Anyway, I remember <laughs> they, uh, he he and Johnny Carson was on. Well, you'll play that later. But Johnny Carson said he always felt that David Letterman was his rightful heir to that mm-hmm. show, and not Jay Leno. Okay, and that was Carson's opinion. Uh, but Miles, yeah, you were going to say something too. Uh, if I, if memory serves, um, I, I've watched some like U.S. Open tennis matches, and it was pretty common for a camera to catch Johnny Carson in the audience watching matches of mm-hmm. the, 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 the the big shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one of my favorite moments with Carson is when uh, uh, Nichols R- Rickles. 
Don, Don Rickles. Rickles. Don oh, Rickles. Don Rickles. That was the, an amazing uh, one. Oh, yeah. The Don Rickles <laughs> moment when he broke Johnny Carson's cigarette box and uh, while uh, while temporarily hosting for Johnny while he's on vacation or something, and Johnny Carson comes back and 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 discovers, you know, belatedly, like, why is my bro- why is my box broken? And they had to explain to him that Don Rickles broke it. And, and the whole camera a, episode. Oh my uh, god! I'll, I'll look it up. The YouTube clip of of the and you and Johnny goes after him because jo- uh, Don Rickles was taping in another studio and he, he has a camera follow him and he dresses Don Rickles down and the other uh, just told, the other show just stopped taping whatever they were doing because Johnny Carson showed up in their in their studio. And he had a camera following him and everything. It was amazing. It's hysterical. So, yes. well, um, unless there's anything else, we should probably get moving uh, to the break. Yes. Sure. So, uh, but yeah, so coming up uh, in the spirit of uh, vampire goodness, um, Adam has, ta- Adam has uh, done his latest mythical moment. What? Uh, in, and I believe it's entitled The Original Vampira. So we're gonna have to okay, check it, cool. check out, and see what this is all about. Let's give it a good old vampire hiss before we start. For Radio for Humans, and it came from Cleveland. This is Adam Hebert with Mythical Moment Twenty Four: Bavanchi, the original vampire. The British Islands are chock full of interesting mythological creatures. One of them, the Irish Dullahan, has been covered here before. However, today's creature is from the Scottish Highlands and is called the Bavan Shi, also known as the White Woman of the Scottish Highlands. The Bavan Shi shares many traits with vampires, but also has some unique characteristics to set it apart from European legends of Eastern Europe as well as characteristics that are associated with other mythical monsters. Bavan Shis live near forests and other rural areas and tend to avoid high population areas. They have the appearance of enchanting and beautiful young women, but don't let the beautiful exterior fool you. They're evil and not in the fun Eartha Kit kind of way. Like many other creatures from the area, the Bavan Shi is classified as a type of fairy They oftentimes hunt in packs and will often take on the form of a large wolf rather than bats. These fairies were fun for girls and boys, much like a slinky, and would go for either gender given the opportunity. A Bavanshi will approach their attended victim wearing a long green or white dress that covers them head to toe. However, a would-be victim can look for the telltale sign that they're dealing with a Bavanshi. Rather than having normal human feet, they have cloven hooves instead. Some variations on this have the Bavanshi with the hooves of deer or other serving animals. These creatures have some similar traits to a succubus as well. They will seduce their victims and drain them of their blood, sexual potency, and vital energy. However, they do not bite their victims. Rather, they drain them by clutching their throat in their hands and driving their clawed fingers into it. Like traditional vampires, they can spread the curse of vampirism. If a man dies from a liaison with a Bavan Shi, they just die. However, if a woman dies from an encounter with one, they are doomed to become one of the damned. 
damn good looking. They will then go on to perpetuate the cycle, becoming an unholy blood drinker with the strength of ages, power over the sand, and the glory of infant. I'm sorry, my editor Michelle is telling me that I'm describing the mummy Imhotep. Sorry for the mistake. One way to end up on the radar of a Bohan Chi is to wish that you had the companionship of a woman while wandering out at night. This is a product of an ancient Scottish belief that making a wish at night without invoking the name of God for protection would lead to said wish being fulfilled in a terrible and potentially lethal way. If you're worried about encountering a Bavan Chi, take heart. There are weaknesses one can exploit to remain safe. First, a Bavan Chi will usually only be active one night of the year. As long as you are careful, your odds of encountering one will hopefully remain low. If you have the misfortune of coming across one, you should remember that the Bavanshi absolutely hate and are repelled by horses. So long as you remain seated on one, you will be safe. If you are on foot, you can defend yourself with iron weapons, a common weakness of fairies. Finally, you can help prevent an attack by a Bavanshi by covering the grave of one with stones to keep it inside said grave. If you do that, it'll be one Bavanshi down and, well, a lot left to go. So, there you have it. One of the oldest known Western European vampire archetypes, and most likely at least a partial inspiration for Joseph Lefanu's novella Carmilla. For Radio for Humans, and it came from Cleveland, this is Adam Hebert saying that if you're worried about a Bavanchi during a trip to Scotland, the best way to protect yourself is to just say nay and ride a horse. Back to you, Kenny. Oh, and happy Halloween, everyone. Music is Medieval Fantasy Adventure by Alexander Nakarada, who can be found at www.serpentsoundstudios.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Thanks, Alexander. I met a genius once. He told me chicken fat would grow hair. Speaking of Don Rickles. Uh, anyway, welcome back to the show. Uh, yeah, so uh, actually, you know what I thought since we kind of cut into Miles' time a little bit. Miles, we'll just uh, we'll, we'll have you go at the beginning of next hour, and we'll start. Oh no, that's fine. Th- th- this yeah. isn't a long story anyway. Okay. Well, uh, you know, but regardless, I I, th- I figured we could segue into the rest of the Johnny Carson and some of Michelle's leftovers, and then. Start you fresh at the top of hour three, if that works for you. Is that good? Or do you want to do yeah, it? All right. Uh, I mean, we can go back to Johnny. I mean, uh, so. it, th- this is a battle. It's not as 
yeah, well developed, uh, you know, the story. I was I was going to kind of fill time by talking about the James Webb Telescope if I ran short on time. Well, you you should have time to do that too. So, uh, but yeah, so let's uh, jump back in here because, uh, and of course, welcome back, Michelle and Joe. Um, something I grabbed, uh, something I grabbed today was um, it, 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 as soon as I saw Joe was doing uh, Johnny Carson, I was I was like, well, I have to grab the the Letterman tribute, and um, this starts with his opening monologue uh, on you know the show closest to Johnny Carson's passing. And then he has quite the tribute to to uh, the only thing I cut out here was the first joke was which was a little uh, maybe a little racist and then the the theme music that the orchestra played just for the t- sake of time, uh, but yeah so this is uh, here's here's a the opening monologue uh, from before that. you play that Ken uh, yeah Ken mm-hmm. yeah oh I was just gonna say that uh, just as an intro to this too is uh prior to his death carson would send jokes to letterman uh and he'd use the jokes in his monologue and carson used to get a big kick out of that oh cool what's interesting about what you're going to play is in this tribute the entire monologue was jokes written by johnny carson yeah and i was waiting i was going to save that because that's exactly the last thing he says in the tribute (laughs) so that was oh that was the surprise the but I, uh, I ate your potato the, chip. Oh there, no! Yeah, you you ate my act. Uh, anyway, um, uh, here we go. Here's a jokes written by Johnny Carson for, in, uh, for Letterman in 2005. Well, here was a sad story. I, I hated to hear about this. Uh, Paris Hilton, you know Paris Hilton. Uh, Paris Hilton has a, has a dog named uh, Tinkerbell, and uh, Tinkerbell was missing for a while. D- don't worry, they found Tinkerbell. They they found the dog. Tinkerbell was with the Taco Bell Chihuahua making a sex video. So, that's a happy ending. Uh-huh. How many people are on a low-carb diet? And, and do you find that it's working? Is it effective, the low-carb diet? It's, uh, everything is low-carb now. They have the uh, low-carb beer. They have low-carb pizza, low-carb ice cream. And earlier today... I was reading in the Times something that makes no sense to me. You can now actually buy low-carb condoms. <laughs> Were you aware of that? Makes no sense. Uh, this, was, uh, this was interesting and kind of a strange... Uh, John Kerry, you know John Kerry, uh, came... Yeah. You heard he didn't win. <laughs> well, he was, he was criticized for throwing away his military service medals uh, back in the 70s. So not to be outdone, today, uh, President Bush uh, threw away his National Guard spotty attendance ribbon. <laughs> he did. But, uh, you know, President Bush was overseas. He was in Rome. He was visiting the, uh, the Pope. Did you see those photos? Oh, my God. The poor guy, he's just, he looked old. He looked just confused, like he didn't know where he was. And then the Pope told Bush to relax and enjoy himself. And then after that, every, everything was fine after that. <laughs> uh, 
And then uh, on his way back, uh, President Bush uh, stopped in Canada where he received a cool uh, reception. Uh, but on the bright side, he was able to go to a Canadian drugstore and fill his prescriptions. So that was, that was something good for him. I saw this uh, in the paper over the weekend. Uh, the Red Cross uh, went into uh, Iraq uh, to interview, um, what's his name, Saddam Hussein, you know? And he's apparently uh, out of it. He, he kept asking, when is Sean Penn coming back? <laughs> That's a bad sign. But this is kind of exciting. These, these guys have uh, built this uh, rocket ship and they're sending people into outer space. It's unbelievable. They, they went up and they set new records, new altitude records uh, for civilian spacecraft 50 miles into space. 50, and from that height, you know this probably, there are two things, two man-made things that are visible from 50 miles up. W one, of course, is the Great Wall of China and the other, Donald Trump's hair. Yeah. That's right. He was a joke back then, and he's still one now. <laughs> yep. Yeah. He was always a joke. Look at Bloom County. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so that was, uh, you know, and again, he didn't say anything about that in the opening monologue, uh, those being Carson jokes. But, uh, you know, those were all, those were all, you know, pretty recent jokes for, you know, the time. I mean, you know, he was, so he's sending them on a regular basis. And, um, but the, what Letterman went on to do, uh, like a five minute tribute, uh, to him and just, th he said some of those, some of those beautiful things, uh, one human being could say about another. And, um, it was, uh, you know, it was pretty powerful stuff. So here's that. Before you think about it, there are so many things uh, to miss uh, about, uh, Johnny Carson and uh, when this all happened, I had the strange feeling that I had been through this before, and, and, I, and I'll tell you why. And I think many people felt this way. I was nearly this sad when the guy retired, as yeah. when you find out that he's actually passed away, because he's, you know, that part of our lives. And Johnny Carson, and you probably uh, all know this, I just want to underline a couple of things here. He was like a public utility. You know, at, at the end of the day, that's who you wanted to be there. You know, it didn't make any difference what kind of a day you had. If you had a great day or a bad day or, you know, the uh, Watergate and uh, Vietnam and the Gulf War. And it didn't make any difference who was president. didn't make any difference. So what the uh, economy was or the unemployment or what was going on. At the end of the day, uh, the guy you wanted there uh, was Johnny Carson. What a tremendous luxury, if you think about it, to be tucked in at night by Johnny Carson. Oh, so true. And 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 the thing that I uh, used to love uh, most about Johnny Carson, and I guess I have a different perspective because if you think about it, there's really only a handful of people in the world who who kind of do this. And so the thing that I used to love about Johnny, because it's really difficult, and and the most uh, the thing that you really take the most pride in is making people laugh. You know, you come out and there's an audience full of folks and you want to make them laugh. The best part about Johnny is when a joke would not go well. <laughs> That's... And he would look at the audience and give them that look like he had just bought them drinks and nobody said thank you. Uh... <laughs> and, and then he would go on and, and maybe two or three more jokes wouldn't work. And then Doc and the band would start playing, was it T for Two or something like that? Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> And then, and then Johnny would start dancing. 
And it was it was the funniest thing of the night and the the, the funniest thing of, of the week. And uh, to to be able to get people to laugh like that in such an effortless fashion was unbelievably admirable. And then the way that you know uh, that Johnny was such a tremendous part of of your life uh, is on the nights when there would be a guest host, and and you'd be waiting all day to see Johnny, and you'd tune in, and there was a guest host, and it would make you angry. Uh. <laughs> And you would, you would be steaming mad, but not at Johnny. I like that you would always take out your anger on the guest on host. On the host, yeah. yeah the, the, <laughs> the poor stooge who was filling in for oh, Johnny. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about it. Uh, but it, it made such a tremendous uh, difference to have. And, and, you know, we're not talking about five years or ten years or twenty years. This guy did it for thirty years. Thirty years. He was, he was part of our life. You know, uh, 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 several generations, you know, my age, my parents, people older, people younger. And I guess it was uh, Steve Allen. Well, they, they, before that, they had the Broadway whoop-de-doo with uh, Jerry Lester or something. Right, Buddy yeah. Lester. I don't know who it was. And then it was, then it was Steve Allen, who was the first uh, Tonight Show host. And then it was uh, Jack Parr. And Steve Allen was a remarkable talent. He was tremendous. And Jack Parr was an incredible talent also. But the, the Tonight Show didn't really become the Tonight Show until Johnny Carson started to host it. And he created the template for that show. And everybody else who was doing a show, myself included, we're all kind of secretly doing Johnny's Tonight Show. And, and the reason we're all doing Johnny's Tonight Show is because you think, well, if I do Johnny's Tonight Show, maybe I'll be a little like Johnny and people will like me more. <laughs> but it sadly doesn't work that way. Wow. <laughs> it's just, if you're not Johnny, you're wasting your time. I mean, really everything, the, the band, uh, the chairs, the desk, the announcer, it's, it's all because we just want to be uh, a little bit more like Johnny. And uh, I moved to Los Angeles from Indianapolis in 1975, and the reason I moved uh, is because of Johnny Carson and The Tonight Show. And I'm not the only one. I, I would guess that maybe three uh, generations of uh, comedians uh, moved to be where Johnny was, because if, if you thought you were funny and you wanted to find out if you could hit major league pitching you had to be on the tonight show and that's exactly what i did and and all of my peers moved out there for the same reason and uh... i was lucky enough to be on the tonight show uh, in nineteen seventy eight and uh... from that uh... i got a show that paul and i used to do over at nbc and from that we got this show and it, truthfully no stretch of the imagination uh, I, I owe everything in my professional career, uh, whatever success we've attained, uh, to Johnny Carson because he was uh, nice enough to give me the opportunity and throughout my career was always very supportive. As a matter of fact, uh, every one of those jokes I did a few minutes ago were written for us over the last couple of months by Johnny Carson. And tremendous, <laughs> tremendous act of friendship. You know, and when I first saw that, uh, you know, and... and uh, because I saw that live, you know, back in 2005. Right. Um, when I first saw that, as soon as he said that, I was like, of course he did. Because I heard those, I, you know, I thought back to what the jokes were. And I was like, those are totally, that's totally Johnny Carson's voice for joke telling. So, uh, so you know, it, it, it's it's pretty pretty great way to be remembered, you know? Yes. 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 Uh, David Letterman and Johnny Carson had a bromance that went way back, and um, Letterman had nothing but total adoration for Johnny Carson. Yeah. And he should have. 
and he had him on one time. I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I didn't get that because I didn't want to go too long. I didn't know we were going to go into a, a little longer segment. But uh, he actually had to come come on, and uh, he used to have a guy, Letterman, called Larry Bud Melman. Do you remember him? Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, Larry yeah. Bud Melman. Of and course. he was a, 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 a state bureaucrat or something that used to read some of his uh, top ten lists yeah. at night. And uh, one night, Larry Bud came on and uh, begrudgingly gave the floor to uh, to Letterman. And Letterman said, hey, there's nothing on this card. And he says, oh, I see who has the real card. It's Johnny Carson. And he came on. And Johnny Carson came on and sat behind Letterman's desk. He says, could I sit? I want to sit behind the desk. And he <laughs> Letterman let him sit there. Hell yeah. 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 Well, and, I remember um, that too. They they really loved each other and, and really like I said Johnny Carson said that was who was my heir apparent not Jay Leno yeah yeah that that whole Jay Leno thing was such an ugly mess it um, was and just yeah. the way he and the way he screwed over Conan O'Brien too you know it's like yeah. you know oh left, hell uh, yeah hell oh left. that made me so well and happy yeah Ooh. I mean you know that that you know sent I mean Conan O'Brien still did a great show for many many years. And it's mm-hmm. sad to see him, you know, retire. But you know, it's the the landscape isn't what it used to be. The demand for no. you know late night shows, you know, and I, I I hate to say that because there's a lot of people I enjoy who are doing late night shows, but the demand for late night shows just isn't there anymore. And there's a reason for and, it. And one and one thing Carson said is that he would never have political people on because he didn't want to give them a platform, sure, for their agenda. And he avoided having having political people on his his show and mm-hmm. i think that followed through with um with letterman to a degree and i think it's something we lost now because almost everybody is having political people especially yeah. colbert you know oh, yeah. and those so it's yeah, but, but colbert the does it nicely though well i i, I know uh, what i'm getting at is that carson looked at his craft as pure entertainment making people right. laugh he felt it sullied it somehow when you got involved with yeah. the political end of it. Yeah, and- Carson had a universal appeal. C- Colbert is definitely his audience is not. Yeah, but yeah, you Colbert, have to do that now. Yeah, Colbert yeah, more or less brought his his uh, uh, his show from Comedy Central over. Yes, yeah, basically what he did. But yeah, Carson was of a different time, and he was a different attitude toward entertainment. Like I said, he had very liberal views, but but. His job was entertaining, and he, he really wanted to keep that separate from from what his craft was. Yeah. And he, he did it better than any. Yes, he did. Agreed. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, so, well, we have a few minutes left. Um, Michelle, let's go ahead and get to your uh, final two vampire trailers uh, from, oh, your, from okay. the pick. We start with uh, 1986's Vamp. Oh, yes. Did you uh, want to say anything about this before we play it, or I'll, I'll, I'll just tell you it's 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 a more fun view on the vampire legend because basically it's vampires taking oh a view and uh, an aspect of the '80s culture and trying to live off of it, like showgirls and that sort of thing. So mm, there you go. Okay. Hey guys, I'm psyched. Let's party. Fantastic! Getting kind of dark, boys. 
You wanna go, uh, bump in the night? We're here. Wait, wait. You're just what I'm looking for. I'm on a roll tonight, and when that happens, I track women like flies. Wow. Uh-oh. Hello, baby. Look, no thanks, come on. This is not really happening. We've been looking for ya. No. Are we chumpy tonight? Testy. You want to know why I'm testy? Today, I was nearly hung. I got into a fight with a psychotic albino. I nearly eat a cockroach. My best friend disappears. And now I'm nearly assassinated by a runaway elevator. I've had a bad day. Grace Jones is looking for a few good men. Vamp. I'm going to remember that for the rest of my life. There you go, Grace Jones. Yes, I love Grace Jones with because she she doesn't speak a word, but she she just portrays the menace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was. Have you ever a, seen this? Um. Yes, a long time ago, probably when it first came out. Yeah, because Grace Jones does not speak any words. Yeah, I, I recall that. Yeah, she's she's just she's just all about being the vampire, all about being the the the, the dominatrix of this club. Would you say? Um, I I think that's right. The featured uh, performer, what have you? Yes. Uh, yeah. And, so yeah. This- and again, it's it's kind of using the the phrase "vamp," which doesn't mean vampire. It means you know, kind of like a a vamp or a vixen kind of thing. So yeah. it's like it, it's very campy. Band. Yeah. And I love this. Basically, it's about a couple of frat boys trying to procure some entertainment for their frat party. And things just go horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah. Uh, but, um, yeah, we have uh, and then we have uh, one more that we can play real quick before we go to the break. Okay, eight. Vampire's Kiss. Now, Vampire's Kiss is not your normal vampire movie. It's basically a psychological thing where somebody thinks he's been bitten, bitten by a vampire because he has some issues. <laughs> and that's Nicolas Cage, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. How was your weekend? It's all right, you know. There's nothing to shattering. He was an ordinary guy. <laughs> Morning, everyone. Good morning. Looking for an extraordinary love. I'm Peter Lev. Rachel. I brought this girl up to my place the other night. It started with a kiss. Really hot. A very special kiss. You wanted her very badly. Yeah. A kiss that could drive you mad. I hate interrupted love affairs, don't you? Yep, 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 yep. It's affecting his work. There you are! It's a horrible, horrible job. And you have to do it. It's ruining his appetite. My next appointment with you is uh, Tuesday afternoon. I'd like to make it sooner. It's spoiling his sleep. Ah. Sooner. 
And don't think people haven't noticed. Am I getting through to you, Alva? He is so eccentric. My, my. For Peter Lowe. Oh, Peter. That's just love. Love? Love. In the big city. Yeah! Don't laugh. I'm a professional. I don't laugh. I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! <laughs> Nicholas Cage. The tortures of the damned! Maria Conchita Alonso. Shoot. Do it or I'll fire you. Do you understand? <laughs> Not the floor, Alba. And Jennifer Beals. You are so pathetic. <clears throat> Vampires kiss. Strange stuff. I'll never do that again. Jeez. There you go. Uh, classic. I forgot Jennifer Beals was in that. Yes, she was. She was in a lot of really good stuff. It, 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 you know... But she never really kind of got that uh, leading role, you know, recaptured from like Flashdance. But she should have. She should have. I agree. So, which took place in Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh. <laughs> um, just a steel town girl on a Saturday night. <laughs> Go PA. Go PA. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so a great movie, a very, uh, you know, a great performance from Nicolas Cage, uh, one of his more kind of, uh, as he would call it, kind of a, one of his more musical performances because he, he seriously, he, he views words as like melodic and loves to deliver them in crazy ways just to see what kind of effect he can get. And I admire him for that. I used to get really annoyed by Nicolas Cage. But I, I have a better understanding of what he, he does in his craft. And, um, you know, I, I, I think I'll, I will, I'll watch any bad Nicolas Cage movie. I'll watch every good Nicolas Cage movie, you know. Uh, so. Right. But this movie was basically designed around a psychosis. Mm -hmm. It's not a real vampire movie, but I had to include it because that's where vampire movies have gone. Sure. And it counts because um, it's uh, it, 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 if it wasn't for the lore, this movie wouldn't exist, right? Correct. Yeah. So, and it's basically about a guy who thinks he's gonna be bitten by a vampire because yep. he has so much trauma in his life, mm -hmm. and he's having so much expectation. He needs to to deflect it. And yeah. that's where this comes from. So, All right. Well, there you go. Well, I'll tell you what. Now we definitely have to hit the break again and come back and get ready Sorry. for Miles. No, it's okay. I'm glad we were able to get that stuff taken care of. And, um, But, yeah, so let's uh, go ahead and take a break. We'll be right back. And Miles will uh, regale us with a, with a tale of the Civil War, which I got all screwed up at the beginning of the show. But he'll straighten it all out for us. We'll be right back with more. It came from Cleveland. <laughs> Going to be a good night. It came from Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror and 
you're invited. A foolish hunter. Something evil. It's Halloween, man. Yeah. For us, every day is Halloween. Be a downer. Not recommended for impressionable children. So, I just gotta tell everybody, I just got a message from somebody who bought the DVD from me at our eBay store. Uh, he bought Conga from 1960-whatever, the British version of King Kong, sort of. Um, the message was, what kind of horror movies do you have? <laughs> oh, nice. And I, and I, I wanted to just type, respond back, scary ones. <laughs> but I didn't. I didn't. I said we have all kinds of horror stuff on DVD, VHS, and Blu-ray. And uh, and I said, what are you looking for? But seriously, have you ever heard of see sellers other items? <laughs> <laughs> Just no. a quick tip for you there, or visit seller's store um that's yeah, why yeah, i never yeah. buy anything on ebay <laughs> you know ken you're the worst i am the worst i am the worst you i love worst. ebay i love the way ebay is set up for selling and buying i i'm a, i'm a, an avid buyer as well as a seller on ebay um it is it's great anyway uh yeah so uh okay welcome back joe uh thanks for the johnny carson stuff and michelle thanks for uh cleanup duty on the vampires and uh now uh miles and I, yeah go ahead i just say it's our 24th anniversary this year Yay. it is congratulations so uh shoot i think ours was the 23rd this year so um yes 23rd so we're catching up <laughs> anyway. Uh, but all right, so very very good. Congratulations, uh, you crazy kids and uh, Miles. <laughs> Congrats. What do you got for us? Right, so um, I have had a request put to me to do, look up something specific, and in that um, research, I found out a very famous quote of um, uh, that was said. I'm not going to do any spoilers. Anyway, it reminded me of another famous quote that was said in battle, or attributed to to have been said during uh, battle, and that was, uh, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. And that is the quote that is pretty much what it's evolved to, but um, historians kind of, eh, bicker about it was it actually said the actual quote from what it is uh morphed from was damn the torpedoes captain drayton go to head go ahead Jewett, full speed and Jewett was a uh, officer in charge of the engines mm -hmm. and these were these are steam-powered vehicles back in the day and uh which is just i mean uh, yeah it's, at least they could go against the wind if they had to but i mean the so uh, this is a battle, the Battle of Mobile Bay, which is when the Union forces during the Civil War were pressing into uh, the Confederacy. And Mobile Bay is in uh, Alabama. Okay. Uh, Mobile was a, a, a port of significance. Uh, it, the, the Confederacy was pretty much not anywhere near as 
rich as the North was. The North was where all your industry was, and the South was your sugar, cotton, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And they needed um, trade in order to survive. Yeah. And so the Union just blockaded the ports, Mobile being one of the most prominent ones. So Mobile Bay is a body of water. It's about 30 miles long, and at its widest point, it's about 23 miles wide, but it narrows down to about 10 miles wide. And it's got these little um, keys or islands that are you know guarding the entrance of the bay. Mm-hmm. And there are two forts. Uh, one is uh, Fort Morgan on the east uh, island uh, that guards the entryway, and the other one is a Fort Gaines. And the um, so the Confederate forces totaled a grand total of three gunboats and one ironclad, and that was the Tennessee. And this ironclad is, um, I, I probably went over this story back uh, under Mike Check Radio about the uh, Monitor and the Merrimack. Mm-hmm. If I, that's a very famous battle between two ironclads. Um, one is a, a long ship with guns out both sides, and the other is like a floating turret, if you will. That was the Monitor. Anyway. The this this the the Tennessee was of the Merrimack style. It was the one where you it was like a turtle with like three guns uh, aiming out each side of a um, uh, the uh, each side of the ship, an, an inner classic configuration. And the uh, Union had twelve wooden ships, and these are your more classical ships that were. Um, Configured like you when you think of things like um, the Pirates of the Caribbean, where they do broadsides, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, and that uh, they had two gunboats, and these are small, smaller ships, but you know, not insignificant, but worth note. And they had four ironclads, and uh, these ironclads, two of them were of the Monitor style, where it had one large turret with dual fifteen-inch guns. And these are 15 inches, nothing to sneeze at. These are like, these are powerful weapons. Yeah. And the other two monitors were dual turret with smaller, like 11 inch guns. They had, so they had four guns, which were smaller eh, at the front and the after the ship. But the bigger, the big, again, in military size matters. (laughs) And so the, 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 the two uh, big 11 inch guns. And just to give a, 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 idea of the difficulty with these guns they are muzzle loading okay and what and what that means is you've got to put the the projectile in through the end of the barrel as opposed to a breech load which means you pop open the back end of it slide in the shell and seal it and then fire no this you gotta swing the gun back over to where your crew can access the end of the gun, load in the shell, load in the powder, load and then load in the shell and push it all the way down and then aim the gun and fire it. So it's a very uh, work intensive just to fire, uh, have a, a gun like this that, that was able to move around. 
So that's that was the uh, basic loadout of the strengths. Um, the Confederacy had about fifteen hundred men. Uh, in um, uh, also this includes like the army forces uh, mm-hmm. manning the forts, and the Union had five thousand five hundred men. So um, Farragut is the man attributed to have said the quote, "Damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead." And he was the uh, rear admiral in charge of the Union forces, and the Confederate uh, admiral was Buchanan, and his fleet was all of four ships. <laughs> and, oh, okay. And, which, yeah, that's the well. The Confederacy was uh, relatively poor. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, they broke away. They weren't, you know, the 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 industrial side of the uh, nation, if you will. Like, you know, like I said. Cotton and sugar was their forte, so that's that's what they were working with. So I'm gonna I'm gonna skip ahead uh, to the part where uh, I, I I get to the, like the end of the battle, and then I'll get back to the middle of it. So the Union, this was a decisive victory for the Union, and they lost 151 were killed and 177 men wounded, and they lost an ironclad, whereas the confederacy only 13 people were killed so it was 151 union dead versus 13 dead of the union i'm sorry of the confederacy mm-hmm. and only 22 wounded but 1500 were captured <laughs> which which was i'll get to that in the middle but so it was a, a decisive victory even though they did the union did lose one of their ironclads yeah the uh the battle itself was not as important um, strategically, strategically speaking, but it became more important as time went on because of the, the um, how slowly the 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 the, the, the well, civil war fighting is slow. You know, everybody's walking around on their feet. You know, it's not like they're rushing with uh, vehicles like they did in the first world war and second world war. Mm-hmm. So, let's get to the part where the the battle. Right, so Farragut is the admiral in charge of the Union, and he had his navy uh, outside of the bay. Um, and he was waiting for the Tecumseh, uh, the Union ship Tecumseh, which was his uh, uh, like this, you know, state of the art ironclad, to arrive, uh, so, so that he would have a total of four. And he was at the point where he was thinking of just going ahead with the attack without it. But the Tecumseh arrived late um, as the Union was already in the process of like offloading its army onto the islands to try and assault the forts yeah. that were defended by the Confederacy. So the Tecumseh arrives and um, they, they are, you know, uh, given their orders. And the orders are given like with flags this is, you know, pre-radio time, so we're looking at like semaphore type stuff. Oh yeah. Um, so, but so the orders are given. The four monitors, the 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 two groups of ships are broken up. The monitors are one column of ships, and then the the uh, other twelve uh, wood ships were going to f- make their other column, and the wood ships are tied to each other in pairs. That way, if one ship is hit and loses its propulsion, it can still move via its 
ship that it's tied to yeah. it can at least be, you know, at least contribute, you know, because if your engine's knocked out, you're, you know, you're dead in the water and you're not able to contribute. So this is early morning and the ships are um, going in. Tecumseh is the lead ship and it goes in through the mouth of the bay to attack the Confederate ships that are inside the bay. Now, the mouth of the bay is mined um, by, back in the day, they were called torpedoes. And there were like 67 of them from, from what records are showing. And it mined, and the mines were placed more, it wasn't really a, uh, a thing of like a surprise attack because the, the Confederacy still had to get their ships out. So there was a buoy marking where the, the mines were, and Farragut knew of the minefield. The, the purpose of the mines was to force traffic towards Fort Morgan, which was the mm -hmm. more powerful of the two forts. That one's had like 46, 46 guns in the fort. Yeah, and but when you have you know uh, when you force the traffic towards your fort, your fort can do a better job of defending it. Now the the Union, I'm sorry, the Confederate ships were kind of hiding behind the minefield, and uh, the Tecumseh, the 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 Craven uh, was the the guy in charge of that ship was. I'm going to use the word impatient. <laughs> he wanted to get in and start trading blows. And so gave the order to head directly for the Tennessee. The Tennessee was the, the Confederate ironclad. Yeah. So the battle plan was pretty much that the column of wooden ships would engage the two, I'm sorry, the three gunships of the Confederacy. That, that was their equals. And the four ironclads would take on the confederate ironclad mm -hmm. so the, the tecumseh is in the lead it starts heading it, it changes course and starts crossing over the minefield and right pretty early in the battle blows it, it hits it, a, a column of water shoots up the tecumseh sinks um uh, records vary one i saw it said it sank within 30 seconds Another say it takes two to three minutes, but that's fast. Yeah, I mean when when water's pouring in and you you know what everyone's seen some war movies where ships are lose you know filling up full of water and the people are scrambling to get to uh, you know out. So if you'll recall when I described these monitor class ships, these are covered in steel. Entryway and exitways are very limited on these ships. And this had a crew, checking notes, of 114 men. And when that ship hit a mine and started immediately sinking and flooding with water, uh, getting out of basically, it's, it's like a, a submarine. It's so it's so claustrophobic. The entryways are choke points, and all these men are scrambling to try and get out, and there's just no way. And the pilot, the guy that was um, uh, steering the ship with the steering wheel, 
and Craven reached their entry point basically at the same time. And the pilot said that Craven said, you first, sir. He back, he backed away from the entryway so that the pilot could exit first. And the pilot exited the ship and the ship capsized and took Craven with it. Oof. And so Craven, yeah, he was the captain of the ship and he went down with the ship. He couldn't get out because, the, I mean, the pilot managed to just get out before the ship flipped over and that was it. There was no getting out. And so to, only 21 men uh, were, were, were alive. Uh, and so you're looking, the losses of that, you're looking at 90, 90 of the 151 killed were straight up from the loss of that ship. As, wow. uh, you know, other people were picked up by ships. Some went on sh- ashore, you know, and so forth. But, uh, so that's how the battle pretty much started is with the, the first union ship just sail, you know, it's, it's a couple shots were fired, but you know, it's like, let's go for the Virginia, the, uh, Tennessee. And that was it. That, that ship went under. Oops. So now the other ships that are following behind it, they're full, you know, full on reversing their propellers like, Nope, we're not going that way. And so it, there's a delay to three hour fight. The, uh, the Tennessee, um, having its armored shell protected it for the most part. And, but it got pummeled by these other, uh, ironclads. Yeah. And it basically, it, they shot its, uh, smokestack. And so it lost its engine. And so now it's just sitting in the water as a pretty much a dead Hulk. And the armor is protecting it from damage, but, um, there are steel plates that are covering the gun ports and some of them were even getting jammed. And so they couldn't even open up their gun ports to return fire. And so uh, you can imagine just being inside this hull of a ship. I mean, they tried ramming it, but even these steam powered vessels were so slow. They, some like reached the top speed of like nine miles an hour, which is sad. I mean, yeah, but yeah. They, yeah, I'm so. I mean, average walking tr- is an average walking speed like six miles an hour or something like that. Um, I think four miles an hour is like a good. Yeah, so you're looking at a double of a walk. Yeah, is is what these ships could make a brisk walk. Yes. Uh, so it's uh the ram- and by all accounts the ramming vehicles that tried to take out the Tennessee were damaging themselves more <laughs> than they were causing. But eventually it got down to the point where the uh, the Admiral of the Confederacy, Confederate Navy, had a broken leg, uh, injured, an injury suffered from uh, fire, and the captain of the vessel asked for permission, like, hey, can we surrender now? And he finally gave it, like, yeah. So they, they gave up, and so... That was that's the end of the uh, that was the end of that ship. It, it just it was, I, I can't imagine just being on something and then just ramming you and you're just sitting dead in the water, helpless. It just that had to suck. Yeah. So once the navy was dealt with, right? Yeah, I know. I mean, war is hell, but I mean, all all, all by all accounts, the Civil War was the most deadly war. Um, that America was involved in, as far as death, yeah, uh, to its own in, uh, uh, people, and this battle had 
very few deaths. I mean, less than 180. Yeah, yeah. That that's nothing. I mean, you're, there are battles where there, you know, people getting shot and laying out on the battlefields and get succumbing to wounds from the, in their gut. It takes them two, three days to die from a uh, die of sepsis. Or Praying for maggots. Oh yeah, that's that's it's just it's just horrible. But the the deaths were so few. So now with the navy dealt with, the Confederate navy has been dealt with. They take on the forts, and the forts. Um, were really designed to prevent entryway into the mobile bay. They were poorly designed. And so once the ships made it past the forts, the forts were open in the back. And so they couldn't def- they couldn't really defend themselves from being shelled by the ships. And the ships had superior guns compared to the, you know, because the, the guns of the forts, really couldn't turn around to fire from behind. It reminds me of um, Lawrence of Arabia. If, has has anyone, everyone seen the Lawrence of Arabia movie? Oh, many moons ago, but yeah. Yeah, Aqaba, yeah. where they the guns were facing the ocean and they took it from the, from the land. But anyway, so that's how bad things were. So they took out one, uh, they took out first Fort Gaines. Um, so back, remember uh, there was a delay of Tecumseh showing up late to the party. This allowed the Confederacy to reinforce the forts on the islands with more troops, which you would think is a good thing. Nope. It's it's basically ascertained that all it really did, because the forts were ineffective already, is it caused more Confederate soldiers to have to surrender at the end mm. of the fight because there was nothing they could do other than get shot at. And so, with with the, the with them surrounded, the the um, the uh, Union ships just shelling them at will. Eventually, they just said, "Nope, it's over." They spiked their guns, destroyed their supplies, and uh, surrendered. They just put up the one uh, the, the flag. And after Fort Gaines went under, then they focused on Fort Morgan, and then it went under. Uh, spike the guns. I will explain that. So muzzle loaded. Muzzle-loading guns require you to enter the bullet uh, through the the no the, the uh, end of the gun, and uh, at the rear of the gun is a tiny little hole that's drilled down, and that's where you stick the fuse. And the fuse lights and goes down and lights the gunpowder and the fires the shell. Spiking a gun renders it inoperable. They take a nail and they hammer it into that tiny little hole thus rendering it inoperable because now you can't light the gunpowder. And that's what it means to spike the gun. So that is the Battle of uh, Mobile Bay where the the quote, um, uh, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. Oh, I do want to give one little credit to uh, Farragut. He had a destroyer class named after him, a Farragut class destroyer. And give me a moment. I'm going to... Uh, put an image up of a Farragut class vessel. Correct. So here's an image of Farragut being tied to the mast as his vessel was sailing past the um, forts. 
Okay. And so basically what he was doing, he climbed up the rigging to get a better view of the battle. And what it's believed, well, it's the myth, the myth of the moment was that he was tied to the masses in an act of defiance, like defying the uh, forts to sink his ship. You know, man, if you sink the ship, you're taking me with it kind of thing. But that's not what was the case. Yeah. He climbed up the riggings to have a bird's eye view of the battlefield so he could issue more effective orders. And the captain of the ship, so he's the admiral in charge of the fleet, but the captain of the ship ordered a seaman to go up and tie the admiral to the rigging. So because he was so high up, if he fell... It would have been a lethal injury, or he would have been incapacitated. Sure. And so a seaman climbs up the rigging, and Farragut's like, "Never mind, I'm fine. You can let me." No, no, no. And the, and so the seaman, <laughs> uh, he obeyed his captain, and he disobeyed the the admiral, and he tied the admiral to the rigging, <laughs> as it's as it's displayed here. Oh. And this is a recruiting a recruiting poster for uh, World War One. Uh, showing uh, the the moment in, uh, in 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 history. Well, there you go. So, and that's my time. I see. I've I've filled it. Woot. All so right. There you go. Battle of Mobile Bay. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, the last hurrah once again for the songs that I've done with Kill the Hippies for Halloween past. Of course. Uh, uh, sadly, we didn't get to record any new stuff this year. But uh, I think uh, Hallablue and the Wolfman's Wedding are, are still just uh, penultimate classics of from my music library. I'm I'm uh, uh, always happy to share those with everybody. So that's what we're gonna hear on this last break, and then we'll be right back. And I've got some fun facts about uh, movies that Ed Wood wanted to write for Bella Lugosi, but never got to make so and it's it's really really interesting stuff talk a little bit more about some of the books that i've been reading frantically trying to get fresh new information for you we'll be right back with lots more it came from cleveland right after this pull the string Thank you very much for coming to Ohalabaloo, or should I say, thank you very much. <laughs> Welcome to Ohalabaloo on this spooky night. Come on in and have a bite on the neck. <laughs> I think you've got a few bats in your Godzilla was going to come, but he couldn't fit in the room. And the mummy's running late. He goes wrapped up in his tomb. And the ghosts say boo. It's a hallabaloo. You're gonna be there too. I'll have you know, I was at the top of my anatomy class. I can find a vein on anybody. <laughs>
here dancing ghouls and singing ghosts. Now raise your cup, propose a toast, the blood! <laughs> Who put steak on the buffet? I specifically said no steak on the buffet! Oh, if not like a little steak will kill you. No, a steak will literally fucking kill me! That is the one thing that will fucking kill a Dracula is a steak! That's the fucking fact! How could you not know this? Do you live under a rock? Why, yes I do. It's quite an ice rock, might I add. The sun is rising and our hallelujah is coming to an end. We hope you made some ooky friends. What do you mean, friends? I think you mean to say... It's a <laughs> And a ghost ain't blue. It's a halibaloo. You're gonna be there too. This boogieing has loosened the nuts in my Wolfman! Get down from my couch, you bad boy! You'll be sleeping in the wolf house tonight! Why did you throw rice at the happy couple? 
It's not rice. Those are dried maggots I pulled out of my coffin. <laughs> you fool. It's the Wolfman's bedding. The Wolfman's bedding. The Wolfman's bedding. The Wolfman Wedding. Well, the happy couple goes off to their honeymoon, and I dream the moon. What's up next for you? Well, you know, I don't believe in thinking small, so I've got a whole slate of pictures for you. You ready? Okay. The vampire's tomb. What? The ghoul goes west. And... Dr. Acula. Dr. Acula. I don't get it. Dr. Acula. Oh, I get it. I don't like it. But it'll star Bella Lugosi. <laughs> oh, Lugosi. Lugosi's all washed up. What else you got? All right, uh, welcome back. I decided to play that little clip there because there's a lot of truth in that clip from the classic Tim Burton, Ed Wood, Johnny Depp movie uh, from 93, I think. Uh, but welcome back to the show, uh, Michelle. Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. We, we, I just have a few minutes to talk about these unrealized projects, but it's pretty cool stuff. Yes, it is. And, of course, uh, welcome back, Joe. Uh, you know, I, I think Criswell might have appeared on Johnny Carson's show at some point. Criswell was one of the Ed Wood players. He used to tell, do bad predictions. I think you're right. So, um, I'll have to see if I can find some of those appearances. That would be great. And, uh, of course, Miles, thank you once again for, uh, you know, damn, damn the torpedoes. Full speed ahead. <laughs> so, Indeed, thank you. And, uh, yeah, so so here we go. In that clip from Ed Wood, all three of those movies he mentioned that he was making, uh, the it was uh, The Vampire's Tomb, um, The Ghoul Goes West, and Dr. Acula were all projects Ed Wood had in mind for Bela Lugosi. He desperately, Ed Wood was desperately trying to, he loved Bela Lugosi, and Bela Lugosi loved him. The more that I've been reading about this, their friendship was very solid. The... Sticking point with Bella Lugosi's son, Bella Jr. or Bella G. Lugosi, I, I can't remember what his actual name is, uh, you know, because he was a grown child when Bella and Ed were hanging out uh, at the time. 
and uh, he um, he won't, doesn't deny that uh, Ed and Bella had a very you know they had a, they had a bromance uh, you know to to steal a phrase from from Joe from earlier for you know like Carson and Letterman. Um, they they had a real bromance. They they would get together and they would discuss, uh, um, you know, movies. And Bella's eyes would light up because you know Michelle that um, uh, the Black Death that last uh, lot you know when he was still alive the last movie he made when he was alive, you know, barring right. Plan Nine, um, you know, they gave him a minor role as you know with no speaking part. And, you know, and what that in that scene from Ed Wood, where he's trying to pitch projects to a a studio executive, um, uh, you know, that attitude towards Lugosi was like, yeah, he's he's washed up. He he can't be the star in a movie. And Ed Wood was hell bent on proving people wrong and putting Ed Wood in movies or putting Bella Lugosi as a star in movies. And, uh, you know, we talked about Glenn or Glenda last week. Glenn or Glenda was pretty much a B-movie flop, but the message still transcends uh, to this day uh, what Ed was trying to do, which was just about the acceptance of everybody for their own, you know, sexual identity. Um, And, uh, but the movies and projects he mentioned there um, were, you know, were pretty cool. Uh, and and I'm, I'm going to reference uh, uh, a little bit here from Nightmare of Ecstasy, uh, the Ed Wood, um, uh, the life and art of Edward D. Wood Jr., which the movie was heavily based on. And then a couple later books from uh, Bear Manor that uh, Joe, uh, you have a, a bit of a relationship with through... Uh, Bob's book, Four Feet to Fame. Yes, that's the that's his publisher. Yeah, uh, an amazing publishing company. An amazing it publishing is. company. They have so he's much very, good stuff. He's a very interesting man. Uh, yeah, he lives in Japan. Uh, very easy to talk to. Very easy to along with. Helped us uh, a lot. You know, the publishing. I, I'll tell. I'll tell you what. I wouldn't mind trying to do a, a Bear Media Book Club or Bear Manor Book Club, uh, like once a month or something. You know, um, yeah. you know, all of us grab a book from them and, and you know give them a little uh, promotion. You know, unless the, or, or if they want to send us new copies of things to review, we'll do it because it's right in our wheelhouse. Um, sure, they're they're a niche a niche publisher, but the niche is very very it's a, interesting. It's a wide most net. People don't. Yeah, it's it's it a pretty, is, yeah. it's a wide net, but it's it's very you know uh, you know special interest kind of publishing, which is great. And uh, like I said, he's a very 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 nice man, and uh, he was very very good to us and helped us a lot. Uh, you know, yeah. people who don't normally write books, yeah, uh, and publish books, he was, they really were they, helpful to us. They even have a thing on the website: suggest a book. It's like okay, <laughs> I might suggest a book. Write a book about me. No. <laughs> um, so, all right. So going back to that clip from Ed Wood, uh, let's start with uh, the uh, the Vampire's Tomb. And uh, it, it, 1954 was when this was uh, proposed. The Vampire's Tomb was first announced uh, as a forthcoming production in the August 2nd, 1954 issue of the Los Angeles Times. According to the September 9th edition of The Hollywood Reporter, the project was set to roll October 1st with Wood flying to San Francisco to close financing. 
Wood did not shoot the vampire's tomb in October, but began Bride of the Atom as well, instead, which is also Bride of the Monster, which is something we talked about last week. Uh, Bella Lugosi was to star as Dr. Acula, uh, and the rest, uh, uh, and the, pro- the rest of the projected cast included Tom Keene, who was a big Western star, uh, Loretta King, who ended up being in uh, Bride of the Monster, Bobby Jordan, Lyle Talbot from Dick Tracy. Also, Lyle Talbot was in Plan 9 and Glenn or Glenda. Dolores Fuller from Glenn or Glenda and Bride of the Monster. Duke Moore, who was in Plan 9 and a whole bunch of other Ed Wood stuff. And Davila, uh, Devil with an A at the end. A, a, a Wood discovery modeled after Vampira. So, now, this, uh, the... A lot of the elements in this, if I'm not mistaken, I read up on this a little bit. A lot of the elements in this seem to be like uh, Ed Wood kind of directly lifted from another movie, Um, which was, uh, let me see, I've got so much uh, that I'm flipping through here. But uh, essentially, though, this movie got swept aside for Bride of the Monster. Um, but, uh, and I guess it's not really important what the movie, cause I'm, you know, th- I, I thought I had bookmarks in these, but I don't, um, oh no, I'm looking at the wrong book, but anyway, um, yeah, the vampire's tomb, uh, essentially was, um, a, uh, bit of a, a lift from, what is it? Sorry. Uh, no, it's not there. Don't worry about it. Yeah, but yeah, so that movie um, was uh, definitely, you know, not very original, and it's probably good that it didn't get made. Now, Dr. Acula, this is really fascinating. Do- so Dr. Acula was supposed to be the character in The Vampire's Tomb, all right? But Dr. Acula was, from 1953 was also a separate um a separate uh, 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 thing altogether. Dr. Acula, Michelle, was supposed to be a television show. Sorry, Michelle had to step away. She oh, okay. Well. well, it was... a Do- Dr. Acula was a television show that was actually kind of like a predecessor to what Kolchak was. And Dr. Acula w- was to have written and directed this proposed television series starring Bella Lugosi as Dr. Acula, a mysterious investigator of the supernatural. Ted Allen was uh, to have produced. Uh, Lugosi announced the project on the television series You Asked For It, which uh, You Asked For It. Oh, gosh. Do you remember who was in on You Asked For It, Joe? That was... wasn't Soupy Sales, was it? Was it Soupy Sales? No, no. You Asked For It. Um, she's... I'll have to get up. No, that's okay. I remember the... But yeah, so so that I, I found interesting. It, it was a proposed television series. Uh, so the movie got that kind of wrong, uh, unless Ed had, you know, a different version. But I just love, I mean, the name Dr. Acula is too cool. I love that kind of stuff. Uh, and, you know, th- that's kind of a fun way to skirt the Dracula, you know, um, universal. Because, uh, you know, if you had, if you had Bella Lugosi as Dracula... In a television series, Universal would have shut that down immediately. You could have probably oh, yeah. any other actor play Dracula, 
uh, but not Bella Lugosi because he was never really allowed to play uh, Dracula again, except in um, the um, uh, Abbott Costello meet Frankenstein. That was the second time he played Dracula, which was you know a, a fun movie, but kind of sad that that's what it was reduced to. Um, now I, I read the synopsis of The Ghoul Goes West. And the Ghoul Goes West essentially is pretty much a Western version of Bride of the Monster. The also the movie we talked about where and we played the speech where, you know, home I have no home, you know, where he was exiled from the country because of the science the, the you know, the the scientific experiments he was doing. Uh but the Ghoul Goes West had uh, um Bella Lugosi playing a character named uh, Professor Smoke. And uh, it, and it, it was pretty much the same principle as uh, Bride of the Monster, except there were a lot of hat tips in it, because that one has a full script. And I actually have the book from Bear Manor Publishing, Ed Wood and the Lost Lugosi Screenplays by Gary D. Rhodes, Tom Weaver, Bob Kramer, and Lee, Her- Lee R. Harris. Um... And this has reproductions of the scripts, which are fascinating to look at. And the, the, the annotated stuff about it is great, too. Um, the Ghoul Goes West apparently had a lot of different hat tips to a lot of different horror movies. A lot of movies that Bella had been in. A lot of movies that inspired Ed, including an opening scene of two gravediggers stealing graves. Now, the gravediggers were uh, it, it, it's it seems like Bella or I'm sorry Ed had planned for Tor Johnson to be one of the grave diggers and he also wanted another Tor Johnson type actor to play like you know in the script it said you know one of them was well over six foot so that probably was Tor Johnson and then they want he wanted somebody even taller than that um, so I don't know, maybe Richard Keel would have been up for it if he was a little older or a <laughs> little older. Um, I think, uh, Keel didn't really, he was probably too young of a man to have done something in the fifties. I think, uh, he's probably just a, uh, a large child in the fifties. <laughs> so very, very large. Yeah. And, uh, so, so, so Ed was looking for these two grave robbers and essentially what, uh, the, in one was almost certainly going to be Tor Johnson. And, and, you know, it starts off with, uh, you know, the, the, some, the, the grave robbers smack some guy over the head, he's collapsed in a doorway and then he goes and he tries to get help from the sheriff and they're like, Oh, the grave robbers got me. And then, you know, then somebody brings up, um, this young, the young couple, because Edward always had a young romantic couple in his movies for the most part. And he brings that up and they're like, oh, they're up at Lover's Leap. And granted, this is a Western. I don't know how long the phrase Lover's Leap has been around. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I guess it's probably a pretty old American, uh, trope. Um, so the, you know, the, 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 uh, the girl, leaves lover's leap and she's she has her horse and cart and she uh is passing the the grave robbers in their coach and one of them grabs her out of hers as she tries to pass and so then it begins from there a lot of the dialogue between um bella's character uh, professor smoke and the the female lead 
is very similar to the kind of conversations Bella had in Bride of the Monster. Uh, and that's where, and he starts to get into the, how he was exiled from his home country. And so he's do, trying to do experiments over here. So essentially we got to see a lot of this stuff because a lot of it made its way into other Ed Wood things. Uh, but you know, again, you know, speaking of casting a broad net, that's kind of what Ed did with his ideas because he wasn't, he was a very voluminous writer. He wasn't the greatest writer. But he wrote a lot of great ideas down, and you know, and I admire that um, quite a bit. Now, uh, in and then um, the uh, last, yeah, the um, yeah, the last uh, uh, thing was the final curtain, and that was the script I mentioned last week that Bella Lugosi was found. Uh, he was found dead after, and, and he was reading that. Um, by his wife that was like confirmed by multiple sources the the final curtain and, and you know how ironic is that but that uh i had forgotten about this but that was had like about five different versions and one version actually got produced it was supposed to be a television pilot for a twilight zone kind of series where um but he used his i mentioned the name duke moore earlier duke moore was one of his staple players basically this was the final curtain was just it was it was it was really kind of a bad story it, it was a very bad idea to try and launch a series with this story but ed loved it and i think he just wanted you know he knew bella read it and he wanted to make it but essentially, the story is a guy wandering around an abandoned theater having thoughts of death and seeing things that remind him of death and stuff like that. And it's like this internal monologue. And it was produced, and I have it on a DVD somewhere in one of the multiple box sets of Ed Wood stuff that I have. Um, but it's not good. Uh, I would have, it would have been much more inter interesting, I think, to see something more expanded and refined with Lugosi. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, it would have been a crime though, if it was a mo another movie with no dialogue for Lugosi had he lived. So, uh, so I don't know. Wasn't, wasn't that great of a thing. And, uh, but anyway, yeah. So, um, that's, but that's all the time we have right now. So the, the but I found it interesting looking into these that we did actually get to see some of these ideas flesh out, especially in, Again, Bella Lugosi's last speaking role in Bride of the Monster. So, um, and, and again, reading these stories about how they would get together and Ed would treat Bella like royalty, and Bella's eyes would light up when they would bounce ideas off of each other for, you know, future projects and stuff was just, just so heartwarming. And um, you know, but but again, Bella's son felt that Ed was an enabler for his his drug abuse, and there is some. There are some apocryphal stories, and I don't know how true this is, but uh, the the fake Shemp in Plan 9 from Outer Space who replaced Bella, who just held the cape over his face in the scenes, you know, uh, that weren't Bella. Um, that, that guy was, uh, I think, one of Ed's, uh, maybe Dolores Fuller's chiropractor or something. Somebody's chiropractor. And a lot of people think that that chiropractor was the guy who supplied Bella with the narcotics that he got addicted to. So if that's the case, how bitterly ironic is that 
that the guy who was supplying him with the drugs that you know wrecked him uh, ended up playing his, his the fake Shemp version of him in the movie. Oof. Yeah. So and, uh, and and if anybody doesn't know what a fake Shemp is, that the the term was uh, uh, coined by um, uh, Sam Raimi based on some uh, old Three Stooges episodes where. Uh, it, it was either Shemp had passed away or Shemp was too sick to finish, uh, some of the installments of the Three Stooges. So they did a fake Shemp, you know, they threw in somebody who kind of looked like Shemp and apparently it was pretty easy to spot. So, you know, there's, uh, I, I don't think it counts for like when you can blatantly tell it's not Captain Kirk fighting, you know, in one of the pan out <laughs> shots in Star Trek. You know, bah, 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 bah. you know, I think that's just you know, stunt man, you know, uh, uh, stuff. But yeah, fake Shemp right. is a complete stand-in uh, when somebody's dead or sick. Is is uh, you know, that's what a fake Shemp is. So anyway, well, we are right at the top of the show, and we do have to wrap things up right now. So uh, let's go ahead and start. Uh, wrapping things up i hope everybody enjoyed themselves i hope everybody has a safe halloween happy anniversary to miles and michelle uh happy 24th anniversary and uh thank you all for your participation in the fun for this month uh leading up to halloween uh very much appreciated so uh final thoughts miles uh yes uh yes thank you for the uh well wishes on uh, our anniversary and everybody have a a, a safe and happy Halloween. Um, you know, it's it's still there's still crazies out there, but uh, yeah, do do have fun. Uh, do everything you can to get cavities. This is that time of year to do it. <laughs> yeah. I, I just had some but, dot, uh, dots in a Kit Kat earlier. Awesome. <laughs> uh, anything else? Uh, no, that'll do. That'll that'll cover it. Michelle Michelle's not feeling well for some reason, so it's just me. Okay, I just wanted to double check on that. Well, we appreciate uh, all of Michelle's efforts this month. It's been stellar doing all the different uh, monster archetypes and everything, and I hope she's uh, feeling a lot better real soon. Um, Joe, what do you got on the way out, sir? Well, this week on the Tim Cormall Show, I'll share our show art with everybody. You can go to the MAGA Little Shop of Horrors and get your late uh, costume if you're out. Because oh. we're going to offer some really good bargains. Deep discount? And, uh, we'll, yeah, and we'll be open until till nightfall on, on uh, Halloween night. So uh, there you go. Any Free. of those those uh, pictured you can have. Uh, real cheap. You got any uh, free uh, red baseball caps? Uh, any surplus? No. No? <laughs> no, just uh, we have some uh, Lincoln hats uh, left over from Rudy Giuliani's uh, little uh, cameo appearance. Yeah, that was. Yeah, a thing. and uh, I'm putting the link to Bear Manor Media. Uh, yeah, I got that right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, check out Bear Manor Media. I I love these Bear guys. BearManorMedia.com is where you could find uh, a whole treasure trove. Of entertainment books uh, that you really love, and they have something well, for there, everybody. Can... They have something for everybody. They do. If it's it's westerns, if it's uh, Hollywood, and while you're there, uh, buy Bob's book. 
Yeah. Four Feet to Fame. There you go. You'll love it. All right. Well, one special last little treat for everybody. I like to do this at the end of every Halloween show, and tonight is no exception. You have just been the greatest. Thank you for making me feel wanted. And thank you for inviting us into your homes tonight with our Halloween special. I hope we were a howling success. I'd like to thank my guest stars, Tim Conway, Roz Pinky Tuscadero Kelly, Lawrence Henderson, The Incredible Kiss, Billy Barty, Betty White, and a special thank you to our beautiful witches, Margaret Hamilton and Billy Hayes. I believe in you. I believe in you. And of course, the two kids I love so much, Donnie Marie Osmond. In case I don't see you for a while, to all you little monsters out there, you have a happy Halloween. Now, excuse me, I'm going back to my group to trip the heavy fantastic. from the world of Sid and Marty Clark. Happy Halloween, everybody.